What's up, nerds? And welcome back to the your weekly movie review podcast. That's right. You are locked in and tuned in to the 3 FN Podcast. Of course, as always, we are coming to you from the 8122 Production Studios at Dragon Master Games. This week, we will be reviewing the brand new Martin Scorsese film, starring, of course, Leonardo DiCaprio and Robert De Niro. That, of course, is Killers of the Flower Moon. But before we get there, I am your host, Rich, and the nerds are all here. First up, he is the man that uh, not only did he watch Killers of the Flower Moon, but at the same time, he baked the lasagna, he baked the cake, and he also tapped that ass. We're talking about Ron. Literally. The movie was so fucking long. It's still going on, uh, too. Just so you know. I, too long. Too long. Well, he's already spoiling a little bit for you. And then, of course, he doesn't need an introduction, yet he has the longest introduction in all of podcasting. Ladies and gentlemen, it's hashtag Big Natty Cool. Hashtag Mad Dog Strong Style. Hashtag Challenge Accepted. Hashtag Diesel Malenko because he's the man of a thousand and four hashtags. He is the leader of the Minnows Gang and is your favorite podcaster's favorite podcaster. He is the man, the myth, and the legend rolled into one jolly old ginger bearded feller. Ladies and gentlemen, I give to you Diesel. How are my minnows doing today? They're probably doing very well, and hopefully you are as well, because, uh, Ron, how's been your week? Uh, week's been a week. <laughs> Not too much different going on. Down to uh, 23 days. So let's just keep this going. 23 so, days. You, you, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, and I, well, actually, we're not going to play it again this week because we're going to be playing it a lot over the next month. So if you would like to boo this man, go ahead and boo this man on your own terms. <laughs> hey, it's the 23rd. It's the 23 days later. It just happens to work out. Uh, well, right. 20, 28 weeks later, we're going to find out something. <laughs> <laughs> if it's Diesel might go 28 weeks later on your ass by the end of it. <laughs> oh, to just have an 11-month work year. <laughs> Should have joined the union, Diesel. Yeah. <laughs> But, uh, you know, the same, everything's been the same. If, you know, we went and saw the movie with uh, my buddy uh, Jeff and did it on Friday because I just couldn't do it Thursday and wanted to, you know, take a nap afterwards. Uh, our Wednesday game group met. We're getting closer to the point where we don't know what's going to happen. So we're moving on and we, you know, it was the encounters happened and you know, nothing really outstanding in this session. But yes. we're, we're almost to the point where we don't know what's going to happen. So it's pretty good. Sweet. All right, Diesel, how was your week? It's been a pretty solid week. Uh, things have been calmed down. I got to have a good breakfast with you and then go check out uh, the movie yesterday. Uh, the day before, I just worked. Uh, been a pretty quiet week, eating a lot of hot dogs and just going about my day. <laughs> well, that sounds like a pretty quiet week to you, but uh, it wasn't all that quiet because, you know, we, we had a little bit of... That's right. This past week, it was... Uh, Diesel's birthday. Yeah. And I ate way too much meat on your birthday. <laughs> yeah. Having a little bit of an existential crisis, but you guys took me out for, uh, you and your wife took me out to a great dinner up in Syracuse. That's right. Texas Day, Brazil. First time for me. There you go, yeah. Yes, we did. It was fun. <laughs> did you Did you ever eat your dessert? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Did you eat it that night or later on? That night. It's Sunday night, don't you worry. <laughs> I got some carrot cake, too. But, uh, yeah, no, uh, we did. We went out for a nice little uh, 
uh, Brazilian steakhouse dinner to celebrate Diesel's birthday. I, I won't give your age away because I'm a gentleman. Oh, we're definitely having an existential crisis at this one, though. <laughs> Even though if you're on Patreon, you already know his age because we've been celebrating it on 3FN Rewind all year. But oh. uh, it's also my age. But it, anyways, yeah, it was a good time. I enjoyed yep. tone up, but I also enjoyed having breakfast with you Sunday. We got the uh, 1050 showing of... Uh, Killers of the Flower Moon. By the way, that still doesn't put you out of the theater before three o'clock. Yes. <laughs> so, by the way, they started late, and there should be a penalty for starting late on a long movie. Yes. Yeah, we had we got there. Uh, I had to wait for Jeff because he got out of work at right at six. By the time we got through the line and got our concessions and walked in, the last trailer was just finishing. Yep. And Lucky sit, you. And we sat down, and then the movie started. So it was like, okay, so we only had to sit here for the three and a half hours, but we didn't get I didn't get home until like 10 after 10. Yeah. I had to piss the worst I've ever had to piss in my life when I was done. I'm not, that says nothing about the movie. It just says, a large Mountain Dew to get me through yep. Yep. made me have to pee like a racehorse. I was in that bathroom for five minutes. Yep. A large Mountain Dew, and I got my birthday uh, popcorn. Yeah. Ooh. I should have, you know what, in hindsight, even though I was full from breakfast, I should have gotten popcorn because about halfway through the movie, I was feeling peckish. Yep. I was like, son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah. I should have just grabbed something just a half halfway yeah, through the I, movie. I, I had a, we both got large popcorns and large drinks, too, because yep. we just knew something was going to be need, needed. Yep. But anyways, it's a good week. I got another good week coming up, and I hope everybody at home has a great week and uh, is, is going to have a great week upcoming as well. But before we can dive into the fun parts of the show, we got to take a little care of a little bit of business. That means some shameless opening plugs. Of course. If you are looking for anything that is the 3FN Podcast, it's simple. Go to 3FNPodcast.com. That's right. That's your one-stop shop, your hookup for all things 3FN. That means you can find the social media links there. You can find the Public link there. You can find the Patreon link there. Patreon.com slash 3FN Podcast. For as little as $1 a month, you get a ton of extra bonus content. Well, still uh, helping out the show. It's awesome. It's great. Great deal. Also, while you're at it, check out uh, you know the spots for the shows. Check out friends of the show, like the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour podcast. By the way, I got to get this up on the website, but make sure you go over to the Nerd Initiative YouTube channel because every week, Wednesday, 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, although it's the last week for a 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Wednesday, on November 2nd, it switches to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Thursday. Myself and Ken M are doing Wrestling Night Live, covering all the things of pro wrestling over at the Nerd Initiative YouTube channel. Find all those links at uh, odphpodcast.com, soon to come to 3fmpodcast.com, and of course, nerdinitiative.com. Hopefully that didn't confuse anybody. Also, while you're there, check out the musical directory. We're all the bands who allow us to use their music copyright so we don't get those copyright infractions, those DMCAs, if you will. Of course, big shout-outs to our friends Shout at the Robots, whose song Fail Better is the theme song you hear each and every week for the 3FN Podcast. Go check them out and all the other great bands and support them on Spotify, YouTube Music, and Bandcamp. And last, but certainly not least... Go visit the sponsor section. Those are the people who bring you the show so we don't have to put commercials into the shows, but we're going to give a quick shout out right now. Our main sponsor, Dragon Master Games. For all your Magic the Gathering and gaming needs, visit them on the World Wide Web, dragonmastergames.com. And of course, if you're in the 607 and you're ready to put the pride back in your ride, who do you call, Diesel? 
Call 607-644-3389. That's right, Rex Rods Auto Detailing. Tell them the 3FN Podcast sent you. Also, our energy sponsor, Dubby Energy. Go to dubby.gg. And remember, at checkout, use the promo code 3FNPOD for 10% off every order. And last but certainly not least, our good friends over at Sci-Fi Horror Fest. By the way, October 28th through 31st, the big Halloween sale goes on. This is going to be the only sale on tickets for single day and weekend passes. So make sure you visit them at Sci-Fi Horror Fest. And of course, if you forgot anything I just mentioned, 3FNPodcast.com's got your hookup like Big Papa Pump. All right, man. Good week, though. Good week. I made it through. Another one bites the dust. The show isn't over yet, though. Diesel, as a matter of fact, the show is just starting. And uh, I think you know how we like to start this show. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Welcome to Diesel's movie, Triple Stuff. Got a pretty quiet box office this week. Coming in at number five, we have the re-release of The Nightmare Before Christmas pulling in $4.1 million. A Fathom event is pulling in number five duties. <laughs> that should tell you all you need to know about the box office. Uh, coming in at number four with $4.5 million, Paw Patrol, The Mighty Movie. I'm surprised that's still not making more money. I get it. The kids, but the kids like to go out. Maybe yeah. this weekend for Halloween. Maybe. Oh, no, no. Number three is for the kids. With $5.6 million, The Exorcist Believer. <laughs> I still can't believe that movie's making money. Mm-hmm. Hopefully two is better. By the way, I just want to point out, if you want to hear our review of that, go back a couple weeks. <laughs> uh, there it is. Debuting at number two, with $23 million, Killers of the Flower Moon. Yes, only to only be at number two, because I do believe number one is this for the second week in a row. Is it not, Diesel? <laughs> number one. Taylor Swift, the Eras Tour, with another $31 million. A lot of Swifties out there. A lot of Swifties out <laughs> yeah. there. And they're going to see it in the theaters. I mean, I guess it's cheaper than going to see it at the actual uh, stadiums, because this is an expensive ticket. Yeah, it's yeah. an expensive ticket if you can even get it. Yeah. That woman shut down Ticketmaster. That is true. <laughs> Ticketmaster <laughs> crashed because of her. Well, and also, you know who else crashed? Travis Kelsey. Although the league, <laughs> is, the league has given them some favoritism, just because, you know, Taylor Swift. Little- they should just change their name to the Kansas City Swifties. <laughs> I'm just waiting for her to be on the cover of Madden next year. <laughs> it might happen. It might happen. It might happen. The league is that much in love with her. All right, Diesel, uh, go ahead and tell us what's upcoming in the box office. All right. Coming out this week on October 27th, we got a couple movies coming out. We have Freelance starring uh, John Cena and Allison Brie. Yes, I've uh, heard about that. I was I was kind of interested in seeing it. Maybe we'll check that out as a side because it can't be the next week's 3FM Movie Club review because we'll get to that in a minute. Well... We'll get to it right now because it's Five Nights at Freddy's. That's right. How do you honor Halloween? Five Nights at Freddy's. <laughs> I like it. Finally dropping off, and we will be seeing that, and that will be the 3FN Movie Club review uh, next week, just so everybody knows. And then coming out next week on November 3rd, we have a couple movies. Uh, the Marsh King's Daughter starring Daisy Ridley. What Happens Later with Meg Ryan and David Duchovny. And I think this one is just uh, getting a streaming release, but Priscilla, the new uh biopic it comes out next week yeah i saw that uh next uh that week we'll have to decide what we're going to be doing for the 3fn movie club review i have it blank currently in my schedule but i'm sure that'll be filled in by next week of course diesel now that we've gotten all the box office stuff out of the way that can only mean one thing is left to do and that of course is this week's top three all right we have halloween approaching we got those parties coming what three 
Halloween outfits are you looking forward to seeing in 2023? What three am I looking forward to seeing? Okay, uh, number three. I'm going to have to go with uh, a favorite because we have to go with like a Halloween. And uh, this is more, this is not just throwing the the, the, the S word in front of a, a costume. <laughs> I, I want to see somebody dressed as Tiffany from the Chucky. You know? Okay. You know, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. 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 So, so that's number three. Number two. You know, let's go old school. Let's go a little more classy. Bride of Frankenstein. All right. Yep. <laughs> Bride of Frankenstein. And number one, it doesn't get any more classic than this. And it also doesn't get any more of that dreaded S word than this. Let's go with the maid. Oh, yeah. yeah. The maid's a good one. Skippy maid. Yeah, baby. <laughs> Woo. Ron, what you got? Well, uh, number three, we're going to go with, um, you know, I, I'm just going to go with a Freddy Krueger. Like, I have one of the better ones that are out there. Classic sexy, Freddy Krueger. Oh, no, sexy no, no. horror you're going with men. He's going with men. He's I'm going with men. 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 All right. He's not being a horn dog like no. I was. Oh, no. I'll be, I'll be, I'll be a horn joke. I'll be a horn dog in the second one because I'm just I'm just lame and whatever. Cheerleader all day. Okay. <laughs> Classics <laughs> never die. And uh, number one, just because it's tone, the green arrow. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's reused that a couple times. Yeah. Although, although I think he was Conor McGregor once, too. Yeah. <laughs> but that's just him dressing normal. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Diesel, what's your top three? All right. We had a big movie year, and I was a big fan. I think I was the highest one on this one. But I cannot wait for all the women to be dressed up as Ariel, the little mermaid. I'm pretty sure, yeah. yeah. That's <laughs> going to happen. Well, the new one. The new one. Uh, number two, probably the biggest movie this year. We're going with Barbie. I can't wait to see all the slutty Kens and Barbies and hopefully some Allens. I just want to see Knuff. <laughs> More Knuff. I do, we do have a, a buddy of ours who dressed up as Kenpool. Nice. Yes, <laughs> at, at New York Comic Con. Nice. So there it is. Kenpool was, was a thing. Okay. And last but not least, Diesel. All right. Coming in at number one. I am waiting. We all need to see the slutty Oppenheimer. <laughs> Interesting. Well, it's going to happen. Are, are you going to go? Do you want to be Oppenheimer or do you want it to just be like Florence Pugh in that movie? Oh, no, no. I want the <laughs> the, the sexy woman to slut it up as Oppenheimer. <laughs> well, that just is a dirty librarian. So I think that's been yeah. around for a while. So. Well, good picks, gentlemen. And of course, that'll probably do well next week. is actually Halloween. So we have one more Halloween theme. Because yep. <laughs> the show will be dropping on Halloween. Go figure. Nice. With that, though, when we edge it. Diesel's movie, Triple Stuff. You know, we like to jump right into and enter. Welcome to Three Offense Movie Club. Refreshments are available in the lobby. And please, keep our theater clean by disposing of trash in specified containers. And remember, gift certificates are available for any special occasion. Enjoy the show. That's right, it's now time for the 3FN Movie Club Review. And of course, this week we're doing the brand new Martin Scorsese film. We could call it a docudrama, because that's pretty much what it was. Killers of the Flower Moon. 
Of course, I'm uh, going to give you a quick uh, little uh, reminder of how we do things when we do new movies here on the 3FN Movie Club. Of course, during new movies, we like to split it in two, and there will be a break in between. It is a spoiler-free portion and a spoiler-full portion. So, folks, don't you worry about us spoiling the movie for you, because in the first part of this, which we're going to get into in a second, that is where we talk all spoiler-free. Uh, Diesel will give you his spoiler-free synopsis of the film. Uh, then I will give you the stats, you know, how much it costs to make, how, you know, how long it was, uh, how the budget of the film and all that happy jazz. And of course, then we'll get into who made the movie, followed by who the actors were. And then we give a spoiler free thumbs up, thumbs in the middle or thumbs down recommendation. Then there will be a break where you'll hear from one of our, uh, our podcast friends or a sounder before coming back. And we'll give you one final warning before we enter the spoiler full review, followed by the game where we discuss all the scores from around the internet in a fun way and last but not least finally our scores for killers of the flower moon so with that i would like to start this off a little differently though i'm going to give a little i don't want to say disclaimer because that sounds weird but i'm gonna give a little uh, psa if you will because i've seen some stuff floating around the internet listen guys i regardless of what we think of the movie whether you know our opinion lines up with everybody's or yours or anybody else's we respect everybody's opinions and you just have to respect ours as well the same as everybody else at least we do a better job i've seen people being like i just hated it no you know that's not that's not a real review that is that's dumb uh but if we didn't like the movie because i don't know what these gentlemen are going to say i i can i can't i'm not even going to speak for myself right now because i don't want to give it away but if we don't like a movie it's because we didn't like the movie and what we saw that doesn't mean we don't you know we disagree with the events that happened because obviously this is based on a true story uh you know it is it is something that happened in american history that none of us were taught in schools probably because the u.s has had a long history of not wanting to make itself look bad and it was it's a very disturbing thing now with that being said i've done the due diligence and i'm going to tell you during the spoiler full portion after we give our review and after we give our likes and dislikes i'm going to talk about some of the real facts that happened that aren't in this movie and it doesn't, it doesn't change it. It's still a terrible, tragic yeah. thing. It's just there were some things that, because uh, obviously when you're making a movie, you kind of add things, take things away, et cetera, et cetera. There's a couple things that I can't believe that they left out because I think it would have made a better movie. Uh, that's just my opinion. But I, I would say if you would like to read the entire book, which I did not, uh, Killers of a Flower Moon is a book, so you can you can read the full book. And there's other things. I did listen to, uh, I put it over, and I know we don't get paid by them, but Parcast does a uh, show called Conspiracy Theories that I'd listen to. You can find it on any uh, podcast provider now. They actually did one on the Osage murders as well. Okay. And they kind of went into more of a depth of like the real deal compared to what happens in the movie. But they didn't mention the movie at all because the movie hadn't been out when they recorded. So you can check that out. That did come out recently. Uh, I'm just saying, nothing that we talk about in a movie form, you know, either lets off the hook or says anything about real life. Because I know there's been some people who are making that correlation. Whether I love a movie, hate a movie, whatever, if it happened in real life... It still doesn't make what happened in real life. We're talking about the piece of yeah. art. This is art. It happened in real life, but this is art. So there, I just want to throw that out there because once again, we're not all, we're not going to give you the answer. We just didn't like it if we didn't like it, or we're not just going to give you the answer. Oh, we loved it a hundred percent if we loved it. You know what I mean? Either way, we're not going to give you that. I just want to make that clear because I saw some dumb stuff on the internet. So 
you know, better There's than, a lot of that on the internet. <laughs> and trust me, we don't always, you know, you know us. We tend to be funny. We tend to make jokes. We tend to like whatever. But at the same point in juncture, it just gets annoying because I'm not going to fucking fight with somebody over them thinking that, oh, man, you didn't like it as much as me or you liked it more than me. Uh, you know, bah, you know, that's not worth it. Your opinion's your opinion. My opinion's my opinion. And obviously, hopefully you're tuning in because you're entertained by my opinion, at least. So just getting the business out of the way, just like we had to do before The Little Mermaid, because there's there was idiots out there making it about something it wasn't. So I'm just throwing it out there before we get there. So there it is. Disclaimer done. Now, Diesel, let's get into the fun stuff because I do believe... Man, I got a story to tell. All right. Killers of the Flower Moon follows the egregious acts of violence that happened to the Asajj Nation during the 1920s, but it is told through the whitest eyes I've ever seen. <laughs> I, I'm not going to disagree with everything you've 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 got with there, uh, because let's go into the stats. Uh, of course, Killers of the Flower Moon was released on October 20th of 2023 with a runtime of 206 minutes. If you need a breakdown, that's three hours 26 minutes. Uh, the budget of this film was two hundred million dollars estimated, and uh, domestically, as you heard Diesel earlier, twenty three million worldwide. It's made forty four million, so a long ways to make it. But then again, it's hard to sell a three and a half hour movie to people. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I mean, Oppenheimer sold people. That's another thing I wanted to bring up because somebody was like saying, "Oh, it's just because people don't like long movies." I'm like, I know it was just for patrons, but me and Diesel both gave Oppenheimer a certified nerd, yeah. and it was a three hour flick, and there's no action in that film. Well, I mean, he gets a little action in that film, if you, if you know what I mean. But there's, uh, think about it. That movie's pretty much historic. I love historical movies, so that should just throw that one out there. All right, now that we know those stats, let's find out. Who made this here? Of course, the, the movie was directed, and I've already mentioned it a bunch of times, but let's do it officially. The legendary Hall of Famer, if there was a Hall of Fame for directors martin scorsese uh first movie who's that knocking at my door in 1967 of course then he would hit it big year uh you know almost a decade later with taxi driver in 1976 and then it was off to the races raging bull the king of comedy the color of money goodfellas cape fear that was the uh, remake with robert de niro yeah. obviously i know diesel's a big fan uh casino gangs of new york the aviator the departed shutter island and the wolf of wall street to name a few obviously i left out a bunch because we'd be here all day uh, screenplay for this movie, of course, it was based on the book Killers of a Flower Moon by David Gran. Check that out if you would like to check it out. Uh, the screenplay itself, though, written by Eric Roth. Uh, first movie Eric Roth ever wrote, To Catch a Pebble in 1970. He has some like gaps in his career. He didn't write too much, but listen to some of these things he wrote later on. Forrest Gump, mm -hmm. The Postman, The <laughs> Horse Whisperer, Ali, Munich, The A Star is Born remake, and Dune Part 1. Okay. Oh, nice. Yeah, so uh, great, great. Epics. Like, mind you, he's only got like 15 credits to his name, and there was a big gap in yeah. his career, but damn, he's putting them out there. And, of course, the other writer credited on this was Martin Scorsese himself. Uh, Martin Scorsese's first film that he wrote was Who's That Knocking at My Door in 1967. He was also a writer on Goodfellas and Casino. Uh, most of his movies he did not write, just so throwing that out there. There was a few other of the smaller movies he wrote, but most of them he did not write. Next up, the director of photography, and I think this man is amazing and can't wait to talk about his works, Rodrigo Parado. Uh, Rodrigo Parado's first movie was a foreign film because he is not from, he's from Mexico. El Huagador in 1991. His first film that was an American film, Frida in 2002. Okay. He would follow that up. Ready for it? Eight Mile, 25th Hour, Brokeback Mountain, Babel, Argo. 
The Wolf of Wall Street. And uh, he did another movie this year that he was a DP on. Yeah, a little movie that probably has the highest grossing box office of all time, Barbie. Damn. <laughs> so I'll tell you, director of photography. Whew. Visually gifted. <laughs> Next up is the composer and finally, of course, is the creators, Robbie Robertson. Uh, Robbie's uh, got very few movies, and uh, you'll notice that a lot of them were with Scorsese, which is perfect. The King of Comedy in 82 was his first movie. The Color of Money, and he also did The Irishman. But he's only got about five or six credits, yeah. and all of them have been Scorsese films pretty much. So, uh, But that's not a bad place to be. Not a bad place to be. All right, now that uh, we've gotten past who made it, it's time to find out who starred in it. For the love of God, will someone please punch me in the face so I can see some scars? All right, so you know we like to do deep dives on some of them. We're only going to do deep dives on the on the top three actors and actor, well, two actors and actress, and then we are going to because there's a huge cast. We're going to go on a smaller dive, or else we'd be here all night. And of course, the first man who is listed in the, as, as the star of the movie, Leonardo DiCaprio, who plays Ernest Burkhart. Of course, Leo's first movie, Critters Three, in 1991. <laughs> he filed that in a role in the movie Poison Ivy. Remember that, the yep, sexual yep. thriller. And then, of course, it was the uh, movie that broke his career. What's Eating Gilbert Grape? Followed by The Basketball Diaries, Romeo and Juliet, Titanic, Gangs of New York, The Departed, Shutter Island, Inception, J. Edgar, The Revenant, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Don't Look Up was his most recent before this. I would also like to point out that I didn't list all movies, but Leo's only got 49 credits to his acting career, and some of them are dual credits because, you know, re-releases. He is one of the greatest actors of our time, if not the greatest actor, depending upon who you ask. And proving less is more. And I just want to throw it out there. All bangers. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's got a good selection. There's a couple you know, early on, where, mm-hmm. but the majority of his movies were like, Grand Slam home runs. Of course, yeah. I, I left out things like Catch Me If You Can and, yeah, and, and some other things. The Beach. I left out so some. Good. I've left out some other movies, obviously, because we'd be here all day. But still, forty nine. I, I thought yeah. it was amazing. Forty nine credits. And like I said, it's probably only. And I didn't look it up. Forty or less movies, because a lot of the, some of the credits were double, like things that got re released. Uh, next up, of course, in the co-supporting chair, Robert De Niro playing William Hale, or uh, King, as they call him in this movie as well. Uh, first movie that Robert De Niro was credited in, Greetings, in 1968. Uh, of course, then uh, shortly thereafter in the 70s, he would break out in The Godfather Part Two, followed by Taxi Driver, The Deer Hunter, Raging Bull, The King of Comedy, The Untouchables, Goodfellas, Cape Fear, A Bronx Tale, Casino, Heat... Copland, the Analyze This franchise, the Meet the Parents franchise, American Hustle. Of course, he would come full circle in the Joker movie. And last but not least, he was in one of the movies that we related uh, as Certified Nerd last year, Amsterdam. Yep. Oh, that's okay. Robert De Niro, by the way, I will say this, and this doesn't spoil it. It was nice, and I know we saw him in Amsterdam, but that was kind of tongue-in-cheek as well. It was nice to see Robert De Niro back in a serious acting role. Yes. Because like his later career and nothing against it has been a lot of like funnier, funner roles. Even Amsterdam was Amsterdam was kind of a fun role for him. Quirky, yes. <laughs> and this was back to like old school De Niro. Loved it. We'll talk about that more later. The last in the deep dives, Lily Gladstone playing Molly uh, Burkhart, also my, my Molly Kyle is her maiden name. Uh, first movie she was in, Jimmy P. Psychotherapy of a Plains Indian in 2013. She was in Subterranea. First. Quantum Cowboys, uh, to name a few. I'm sure she's going to be doing some more movies after this one, but still a a relatively newcomer to Hollywood, if you will. 
Let's talk about some of the other cast. Uh, and I know Diesel was super happy about seeing this. Playing Tom White, Jesse Plemons. Yep. Uh, Jesse Plemons, you would know him from The Irishman, Game Night, uh, The Power of the Dog, Battleship, and more. Uh, I thought he was great in this movie, and I look forward to seeing more yep. of his career. Uh, next up, playing Lizzie Q would be uh, Tantu Cardinal. Uh, Tantu Cardinal, she was in uh, Wind River, Dances with Wolves, Shouting Secrets, Legends of the Fall. So she's been in some some bangers, if you will. Uh, in a smaller role, but still got to give him a shout out. John Lithgow is Prosecutor Peter Leeward. Of course, we know John Lithgow from a ton of stuff, but we'll just say The World According to Carp, Cliffhanger, uh, <laughs> The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai, Love is a Stranger. Of course, we also know him from Harry and the Hendersons. And uh, of course, so great. I, I, let's be honest, he, he even upshowed the legendary William Shatner with his rendition of There's Something on the Wing from the Twilight Zone movie. Yes. yes. Uh, next up, and a man who just won an Academy Award last year, Brendan Fraser playing W.S. Hamilton. Uh, of course, you remember him from the Mummy franchise, Crash, and of course, this last year where he won the Oscar for The Whale, which we all thought was a very good movie as well. Uh, another, you know what, and I really loved her in this movie, but and it was a short role, but still, Kara Jade Myers played Anna in this movie. I thought she was badass. Uh, of course, she was in This Is Us, Rutherford Falls, Proximity, amongst other things. I'm looking to see more from her, because I thought she was really, Anna like, was great. She, she wasn't in the movie a ton, but she was in it enough that I was like, yeah. she was a presence. She was a force to be reckoned with. Uh, playing another one of the sisters, Janae Collins played Rita. Uh, she's been in uh, Reservation Dogs. That was the show that it was on yep. uh, FX, I do believe. Yep. Rutherford Falls, uh, fuckery, <laughs> good stuff going on for her. And the other sister, Jillian Dion, played Minnie, the last sister. Uh, Minnie was in Legion, uh, Motherland, and Alaska Daily. So all of them very young actresses, but I see a high up end for all their careers. Playing Jason Smith was, uh, oh, sorry, playing Bill Smith, sorry, was Jason Isbell. I uh, said that backwards. Jason Isbell was in A Star is Born. Uh, he was a writer for that, by the way. Yep. He was also a performer for The Ice Road, and uh, he was in Criminal Minds as a writer as well. Mostly writing credits, yep. but uh, got it done on the screen, too. I got to <laughs> give him credit. He was a little slimy bastard. Yeah, Just throwing that out there. Uh, next up, I got to give a big shout out to uh, Scott Shepard, played Byron Buckhart. Uh, he's been in Bridge of Spies, the uh, Jason Bourne series there. Uh, Dark Phoenix, he played John Gray in that, if you remember that movie. Yep. Unfortunately, if you saw it. <laughs> but of course, uh, he plays uh, Casey in El Camino. So a lot of people know him, and uh, he deserves all the credit in the world. And I'm just trying to go through and make sure we're not leaving out anybody else, but I think hey, we got all the major stars of this film. But uh, except for Jack White was in this movie. He was on the radio show actor. So we got to throw Jack White yeah. in there. We all know Jack White from the White Stripes also from his own thing. Uh, let's be honest. We, I just like Jack White, so I'm going to throw him out there. Yeah. But uh, anybody else that you noticed that I didn't give a shout-out to? I think he had all the major ones. Uh, There's a bunch of people that you'll recognize in this movie that are just like led, like great character actors throughout the years where you're just like, oh, I know him from this and this. So you'll see a lot of familiar faces yeah. in this movie. No, it's a Scorsese film. Let's be yeah. honest. They're banging down the doors to get into them. So now that's going to bring us to the spoiler-free thumbs up, thumbs in the middle, or thumbs down uh, recommendation. Of course, it'll be spoiler-free. A little quick spoiler-free why. We're going to start with Ron. Is uh, for Killers of the Flower Moon, is it a thumbs up, thumbs in the middle, or thumbs down for your recommendation and why? I give it a thumbs up. I do. I just think you don't, I don't think you need to go to the theater to see it. Think waiting until it comes on a streaming service, watch it at home when you can take your own piss breaks. I think it is a movie that needs to be watched, and it's pretty much how I feel about it. 
All right, Diesel, what is your thumbs up, thumbs in the middle, or thumbs down recommendation, and why? A resounding thumbs down. Whoa! Resounding thumbs down. This movie was way too long, and I don't believe this was Martin Scorsese's story to tell. Okay, I agree. Okay, all right. Well, you know what? I We're all going to pick different here because I'm actually going thumbs in the middle. And the reason why I'm saying thumbs in the middle is not because I disliked it, but I will say that the length of it does play a portion in. So if you really have three and a half hours to go to the theater, once again, piss breaks and stuff, you have to take a team, then go see it. You know, I'm, I'm fine with it. You like history movies, go see it. It is a definitely one of those movies that if you're into Academy-type films, this is right up your alley. Uh, however, if you're not into that kind of film, you don't like history films, and you don't want to spend three and a half hours in the theater, skip it. Check it out when it comes to streaming, because then you can like pause it, as Ron pointed out. You can stop it. You can watch part of it, stop it, come back later. You know, There's a lot of options there. So I would say it depends on what kind of movie viewer you are. I would hate to say thumbs up, and then somebody goes and sees it and goes, oh, my God, man, because you're not like you know, you're not, you know, conditioned, if you will, and sit there for three hours and 27 <laughs> minutes. So we're going to go with a thumbs in the middle. So that's uh, another, that's only, I think, the second time in history all three of us were on something different. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, something needs to be watched, just not in the theater. It's going to be, it's going to be an interesting review in the second half i think folks been speaking of which we are going to take that break i talked about earlier when we come back from the break we are going to dive in to the full spoiler review of killers of the flower moon all right guys this is jill whitlow from night of the creeps and you are listening to the incredible Vivacious Three Fat Nerds. Step in a little social line, lines and dots, depression with self medication. I'm dying to some real bad lines and commas, the kids get smashed on the front line. So take it with that decision, and this one decision in every word. We are back from the break. A little bit of music from the soundtrack to Killers of the Flower Moon. Of course, that is the 3FN Movie Club review this week. And now it is time to jump into the spoiler full review. So we're going to give you a final warning about spoilers. So here it is. If you have not seen Killers of the Flower Moon yet and you do not want the movie spoiled in any way, shape or form, this is your time to duck out of the podcast. Pause it right here. After you see the movie, come back and listen to us. However, if you have seen the movie or do not care if it gets spoiled, newsflash, since it's based on a true story, can't really spoil it. But Tay, I understand. I, I understand. This is your final time to dip out because we're going to be entering the spoiler zone right about... Now, all right, so we're going to be talking about the spoiler review here. And as you know, we don't go through scene for scene. I will go over the skeletal works of the movie before we get into our likes and dislikes about Killers of the Flower Moon. Gentlemen, are you ready to talk Killers of the Flower Moon? Yes. Oh, yeah. 
All right, here we go. So the movie opens up, and I, I kind of dig how they opened up. It was, uh, once again, 2023 has been the year of the hot open, if you will. They don't waste a lot of time, and I don't say hot like there's a lot of action, but they don't waste a lot of time like with the backstory. What they basically do is we are with the Osage Indian tribe, and they're kind of saying, hey, times are changing. You know, we're burying this pipe because our traditions are going to shit uh, and we're losing our land and everything else. What are we going to do? And it goes from there. And as they go to bury the pipe, they uh, strike upon what, Ron? Oil. <laughs> That's right. As they used to call it, black gold starts flowing from the sky. And this gets into one of Diesel's uh, not so fa- fun parts. As for whatever reason, we have a dancing in the oil sequence. Yep, we dancing in the oil. We It's reminiscent of the Matrix revolutions where they're just dancing because why not? Now, the, the cool part about this next part is they kind of jump into the fact that they give you the newsreel. And you remember the old silent newsreels where they have the reading? I love this part because it catches you right up. It says, hey, listen, they found more oil than anywhere else. They are now per capita the richest area in the world, and they are spending this money. So you understand that the Osage, Osage Indians are making a lot of money, and that's where they lead up. I did like how they did this because yep. it was good. And then you get into some kind of like snafus because we get the train station with Leonardo DiCaprio showing up as, you know, he's Ernest Buckhart. He's come to this town and we'll find out very soon is to go to his uncle's house. His uncle is William Hale. He is known of the king of Osage uh, Hill. And uh, yeah, he's not an Osage Indian, but he's well respected by the community. He was friends with the leaders, including our our family that uh, we follow mostly through this, the Kyle family. He was friends with their father. Uh, his name was Jimmy, but uh, it is noted that uh, Bill Hale would call him by his his Indian name more than he would call him Jimmy, even though he would ask, you know, he asked other people, but there was a respect. Also, you learn real quick that William Hale had learned the Osage language. Yep. <laughs> so he is he's fluent in their language. He speaks to them in their language. He follows their traditions. There's a lot of, like, when you first meet him, you go, man, this is not a bad guy. <laughs> He's a friend of the people. Because and you, and you get right away that once you get into the train scene that there is a lot of people flocking to this area to try to take whatever money they can from these people. Yes. Charging $40 for a photo- photograph mm. to encapsulate the moment. Like, ooh. <laughs> yeah. So it did lead to a weird awkward scene, though. The awkward scene between... Leonardo DiCaprio's Ernest and his uncle William at first in the house and th- there was like no place to you know you know did you see any time over there well I was I was a cook in the infantry sir oh well the boys our boys had to eat because obviously yeah. Ernest was in World War One. our boys had to eat so yeah that's good son you that's fed, good you fed you our fed, hero you so you are a war hero war hero. A war hero but you know uh, did something happen to your gut yeah yes sir I, uh, I can't lift stuff okay alright uh, nothing happened to you down below did it son you, you, were you with those women? Uh, yes, sir. You wrap it up? <laughs> He's like, you like women, huh? And uh, we get the fucking... All I could hear was Cheech Marin from, from Dust Till Dawn in yeah. this fucking scene, okay? Anyways, uh, so basically he says, well, in your condition, I can't use you any, as anything else but a driver because you can't lift, you know? So I'm going to use you as a driver. So we find out that means a taxi driver. So he basically has a car that his uncle gave him, and he drives around Osage people for money uh, because, you know, as as both you gentlemen pointed out already, they flocked, you know, a bunch of white people flocked to this area to take advantage of them however they could. Uh, like I said, after we're done with the review, I'll kind of give some real, there's a, some real stuff that happened that's kind of crazy on the outside that they kind of touch upon, but they kind of don't. Like, there's, you know, either you're a dependent or you're, co- you're independent or you're codependent. Yep. If you're codependent, you have a manager of your money who is a white man who decides, by the way, it's real fucked up because, you know, 
the Osage Nation is the ones who made these rules. Yeah. So for whatever reason, it ended up being a white man, a fucking lawyer or a businessman who was in control of what money you got. They don't really go into showing them robbing them, but they a lot of those people yeah. skimmed off the top, if you yeah. know what I mean. Yeah, they, they talk, you, you catch words of your guardian. You need your guardian to sign out your money. Unless yeah. you're dependent, by the way, and I will get into this history part. Actually, I'll get into it now. Uh, they don't really touch on this in the movie, and I think they should have. You, what depended on if you were considered independent or codependent was uh, very racist. Basically, if you were the closer you were to 100% native blood, you usually got a uh, manager. Yep. If you uh, had some white in you, you usually didn't. And the more white, the more likely you had nobody in your business. Yep. And so it was a kind of a weird thing that the Osage Indians set this up and then the government helped set it up after. And it was a weird thing. I mean, yeah. I get that they did it to be good, but it ended up getting yeah. bastardized. There's a lot of things that you learn in this movie that were like, fuck, yeah, I wish they didn't do that. You know what I mean? Good system. Because basically what happens is after they find the oil kind of catching you up, everybody has head rights. So what they did is they took the 2000 at the time, and this is a real number. They don't talk about it as much in the movie. Uh, but it is 2,000. There was 2,000 members of the Osage tribe. They gave every one of them head rights. And what head rights meant is that you could not sell your head rights. You could not trade your head rights. Uh, the only way that they could do them is if they were willed away or to your family. So if you were, if you died, your husband and your children could have your rights. If you didn't have a husband or children, your parents could have them or your siblings. But you could never sell or trade them, which was good for business. Yeah. But it's gonna you're going to see how it was bad for them because we start seeing some really weird shit in the beginning of this movie as uh, there's a scene, and I'm sorry, I did chuckle at this because it just looked like a cartoon when it happens. There's a scene where there's a young mother with a stroller, and then all of a sudden some weird, creepy old white dude kind of peeks out the window, shoots her in the head, and steals the baby. Yeah. And I'm just like, what the fuck? Why yeah. the coyote shit am I into? And this has nothing to do with the murders that we're going to find out about that are dealing with this story. This has nothing that comes back on the murderers we're going to talk about. There's just some random shit yeah, that goes there, on. There's a few There's a few deaths in the beginning of this that they show, and they're just like, no investigation. Suicide. Yeah. Shot in the back. Suicide. Uh, the other one, a 20, like the football player, like 23 years old. and Dies, pri- dies, dies of a illness. Illness or something. Like in the peak performance of his life. Yeah. Like, and he's a college football player. And I think what it was was to show that there's a lot of people taking advantage of yes. these people. And so I, I'm all right with that, but it was just kind of like weird that it didn't have bearing on our story. Because where we pick up is that Ernest starts driving around Molly Kyle. And Molly Kyle is uh, the second eldest of the Kyle girls. Uh, her father had already passed away. Her mother, Lizzie, is 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 in her care because her oldest sister, Anna, uh, she's a little bit of a partier. Uh, Minnie is married to uh, to Bill Smith. Mm-hmm. And her youngest sister, Rita, is not with anybody currently when yeah. we first meet up. So basically, Ernest is driving her around, and then his uncle says to him, you know, hey, do you know how head rights work? And he goes, huh? Because uh, Ernest is kind of what? Diesel. He's a little thick in, in the brain. brain. He's, he's, not the, he's not portrayed as the brightest character in this movie. Absolutely. So <laughs> Ernest is kind of like, so his uncle's kind of like, hey, nudge, nudge. He gets you some of that money. And Ernest is kind of more like, and he says this throughout the movie, which we're going to come back to at the end. He kind of falls in love with Molly. And he even says that. Like, throughout the movie, that's one of the things that we're going to talk about, is that he does a lot of things out of his love for his wife. Because, of course, they start dating, they get married, and they have children. And, you know, there is a little bit of his family there. His family's pretty racist. Pretty? Very. Very racist. 
But in the meantime, what happens to uh, Molly's sister, Minnie, Ron? Uh, that's the she. That's the one that passes. That gets. Uh, I forgot. How she she, she dies. dies of being sick. Yeah, yeah. she, she dies, dies like of foaming of the mouth. Yeah, 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 like, yeah, yeah, you yeah, don't know like, what happened, but she dies. Yeah, she right. was Bill Smith's uh, wife, right, right. and she dies. And of course, we find out just a short period of time later, Bill Smith takes Rita on as his wife. Yeah. Uh, you know what they don't talk about is 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 that uh, the head rights didn't pass because they had no children. The head rights can only pass to the husband if you have children, and so they didn't have any children. So basically, we're led to believe Bill was uh, hedging his bets yeah. by still keeping in that money, brah. So when we get the reveal that he's with Rita now, he's like, "Oh, she was there in my time of need." Yeah. And we also get the time where uh, King tells Ernest, "Like, ooh, the the, the head rights can't go to him." Yeah. Just trying to push forward the idea like you you gotta you gotta start working this so we end up with a scene where anna who like i said is one of my favorites in this movie <laughs> needed more time we find out like shortly before this that anna carries what in her purse diesel she keeps a she keeps a protection in her purse she keeps a gun because she's a little partier she likes to go out and have a good time she likes to have a good time with the gentleman she, she likes to drink and she uh, doesn't mind getting a little bit lippy either, because, <laughs> and that's why she has the gun, because she might need to protect herself, because her mouth is running some checks she can't cash. So knowing the true story of this, this, this is at the point where it's in 1921 in this movie. Uh, the original parts of this movie take place roughly in 19, between 1917 and 1919, and then 1921. The bad part about this movie is they never tell you when time jump. Where the yeah. time takes place, because they find the oil originally. I do believe, from what I read, it was like the early 1900s when they find the oil. Yeah. Yeah. So when we first meet our hero, or I should say, because Leonardo DiCaprio, I'm using quotations, Ernest, and that's he's getting off the train. It's it's either 1918 or 1919. I don't know what they did in the movie, because in real life that would be where yeah. it was. And we go through this time, and all of a sudden it's 1921. Now, mind you, shit happens like all of a sudden Molly's pregnant, and then the next scene she has the baby already. Yeah. So they don't ever tell you, but you have to go, well, they're nine months ahead, obviously. There's weird shit in this movie. I wish they would have done better with the time frame. But most of this movie takes place from the years 1921 to the years 1925 when the shit hits the fan. For like That's when all the shit hits the fan, if you will. Just so it brings everybody up to speed. That's only because I've looked into the real story. Yeah. That's the only reason I know. So this is right around the 1921 era, and uh, she gets lit because her and Byron, not Brian, we're going to get talk about that in the facts, by the way, her and Br- Byron, they are having a little tiss, a little tryst on the side. And so she thinks that she owns Byron, but Byron, the brother of Ernest, he isn't one of those guys that likes to be owned. Yeah. So uh, he instantly goes and starts flirting with the help, which gets... Uh, what is what does Anna do there, Diesel? Because this is why she's one of my favorites. Oh, she goes full Jerry Springer. <laughs> she threatens the poor girl that's getting essentially assaulted by this man. Yes. And stay away from my man. I'll kill you, bitch. And I'll kill you, fuck. I'll great. kill both of you, actually. She goes for the gun. <laughs> Ernest has to wrestle the gun away from her. It's, it's, it's crazy. But uh, they go out because Byron says he's going to take her home. But they end up going out drinking and such. We find out later on Anna ends up dead, gunshot to the head. And now Byron, of course, should be the number one suspect. But he's not. But he's not. Nope. And, uh, you know, there's an investigator hired. But that investigator ends up, uh, allegedly, as far as the uh, the native people know, he was ran out of town or he left with their money. He left with it. He just took off But uh, we find out that we know as the viewing audience that he got his shit pushed in. Yes. Uh, the old later, blackjack to the back of the head as he's walking into his hotel room. And later on, we'll find out who did it. <laughs> yeah. They don't show you at the time, but he got beat up. And, you know, 
So uh, we, as we get into this, now we're starting to ask questions because Molly's in bad health. She's got, uh, I can't remember what they kept calling it. They kept calling it like the, uh, it's, it's, there was a name they gave it, like the, the worsening sickness or whatever. Yeah. Like it, yeah. it basically, they didn't know what to call it. She had diabetes, but you know, her mom had this sickness where yeah. wasting, you know, away. wasting Waste, away. The wa- wasting, yeah, wasting, I think it was the wasting. wasting. But she, they did mention diabetes. So yeah. Well, yeah, she her, does have diabetes, yeah. but like her sister Minnie had the wasting thing. Yeah, so yeah. didn't her mother. Yeah. And, you know, so you get a little, yeah. what's going on with these women, right? Her mother's a little older, but still, she's wasting away to nothing. She ends up passing away. Molly then hires the, you know, she hired the private investigator. They were going to send this gentleman to, to Washington. By the way, how weird was that scene? They're all inside of the, the little hut. The little lodge. And, and, it's, and it's the natives. And inside the room on the natives, you had, you know, the representative guy. You had Bill Hale. And you had, of course, Ernest, who's married to Molly. And and they're talking about like guys going like oh you know like uh, you know like we can't you know trust the white people like they came in here and they we we've adopted their ways and it's ruined us that's why we become greedy and stingy with our money and yada da 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 they're circling us like buzzards yeah yeah <laughs> they're they're just waiting to like pick off our our, our money. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, we're going to send you, white dude, to go represent us in Washington. And, oh, Bill, you said you'll give another $1,000 to anybody who can, you know, find Anna's killer? Okay, well, anybody who has questions, you send them to Bill Hale because he's the guy that they need to talk to. Not the sheriff, not law enforcement. We trust him. Yeah. And, of course, numerous times in this movie, Molly's like, I don't want to be with doctors. I don't trust any white people. She even at one point in Juncture says, and I'm okay. It's not that I'm not okay with, like, her wanting to kill Whitey. I get it. But the fucked up part about it is her husband, who's white, she trusts him. She's like, I don't want any of these white doctors around me. I want to kill the white faces because of what's happened to me. But you know what? The only person can be around me and give me the medicine I need and stuff is you, my husband, who's white. Which yeah. is like, that was a fucking fatal flaw. Which is the special insulin only five people in the world are getting. Yes. So basically it was poison. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Yeah. Well, we find that out. Here's the thing, though. It's just weird to me that, like, for, for I get the messaging, but then why are you trusting these white devil motherfuckers? Yeah, because if we go forward a little bit, too, she, she goes to the church and she confesses that she's afraid in her own home. So we know that she's concerned about what her husband is doing. Well, no, it's not even her husband. She's just scared of everybody else because yeah. she never says she's scared of her husband. She it's has- heavily implied, though, because like, she doesn't want to eat at home. She doesn't, And that's the only place where you know he's the one taking care of her. Yeah, there's only so one person. So it's heavily implied, but they never go yeah. into that. Only one person was only. I forget which one is making the food. I forget. Yeah, she says, and then, but he's the only one that's allowed to deliver the food. Yeah. So if she didn't trust him, why is he delivering yeah. the food? Yeah. She's. He's also the only one to give her medical things. Yeah. So at the same time that they imply that, they also imply that it, she trusts her husband because. She's yeah. he's the only contact she gets. Yeah. Like, yeah, what's her name's making the food, but she doesn't get to contact her. The food has to go through Ernest. And not because of Ernest's decision, it's because of Molly's decision. So once again, it's just this weird world where it's like, you know, and I get it, and I'm with them. Fuck Whitey. You know, Whitey, <laughs> Whitey is fucking up your lives, but still, for whatever reason, you're like, but, you know, Bill over here is in charge of fucking finding murderers. Yeah, and when they're in the lodge, too, they're talking about how they come in and steal our women, as you got... Ernest with Molly. You have Mr. Smith goes to Washington with his native wife, and then you got King Hale just chilling there. You're just like, he's called King. You're just like, wait, wait, wait. They're right here. <laughs> so, anyways, the representative guy never gets to manage anything because he gets to Washington. He gets jacked. He gets stabbed the fuck up. Yep. Because he's not in the plans. We'll find that more about it in a minute when we talk about it. In the meantime, though, what what starts happening is that uh, at this point, Judge the Tulsa. 
uh, riots had happened. So basically, they're like, hey, we should be switching some shit out. And we now find out that basically Hale, you know, Bill Hale is like the guy who's behind some of this shit. But you don't find out how deep it goes. And and Ernest is in on some of it because he just listens to his uncle. Yeah. Because as it's played out, he's he's kind of simple. So he does whatever his uncle kind of wants. He doesn't understand it. Like, i.e., he's giving his wife insulin mixed with some kind of poison. But he doesn't, it, from our view as the viewer, he never knows that. They just say, hey, listen, your wife's been talking too much. We just need to slow her down. It's not going to hurt her. She's going to live. She, are you sure? She, as long as she's going to be fine. Yep, okay, okay, I'll do it as long as she's going to be fine. Because throughout the movie, all we really keep getting from Ernest is that how much he loves his wife and children. Yep. And we don't see anything else of it. That's why it gets weird at the end. We'll talk about that in a second, though. Uh, so in the meantime, though, he didn't know anything about the Anna murder. That was done all yep. willy-nilly off script. Yeah. Then, but he does know about the next sister. Because now Lizzie's gone, Minnie's gone, but that leaves Rita and Bill. And Bill, of course, the seed was already planted from, uh, you know, King. That Hey, this this Bill dude? This Bill dude? Yeah, he's trying to get your money. Yeah, he, he he's doing all this. He's going to get all the head rights, and you're going to be left with nothing. Like, it's kind of like this weird race to the finish between yeah. two two white guys. And I do love the scene when they're in the house, and they're, they're talking, and he's like, Bill calls him out. He's like, you're a kept man. She buys you all this shit. He's like... And then I forget the term that he used, but he's like, oh, I would never call you that because obviously I'm in the same boat. But you at least get the sense that Bill cares for his family, even though he went from sister to sister. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, and he also had his own investigation going on to the death of Anna. Yeah. So and his mother-in-law, yeah. which is weird because they, they mention it after the fact. And I'm mixing in real life here because, like I said, I'm going to give some more yeah. facts at the end. But. In real life, in the book, when you read about the character, the real character, Bill Smith, Bill Smith was a violent man to his wife and both wives. He beat the shit out of them. Like, he wasn't a nice guy. Yeah. And I don't think he was ever doing any investigations yeah. in the real life. So it's kind of weird. I understand for stories, you bet you bend things. And there is slight mention of it because Molly, at one point in Juncture, he, she comes home from their house and mentions to Ernest that... Well, I go over there because I have a feeling that Bill's only nice to my sister when I'm around. Yeah. So that's the only thing he really says. So, like, we see earlier in the movie, they, they approach a man uh, named Blackie uh, because uh, he is uh, on the opposite of Blackie Thompson. He's kind of like a gangster, like a almost a cowboy gangster, if you will. Does that make sense? A little sense? bit. Yeah. A little bit, but he's kind of, he's sort of like Ernest. He's a little thick in the head. Yeah. He's, yeah. A, he's not the brightest bulb. And of course, they make uh, they make this dumb fucking thing up where, you know, he's going to kill off Bill Smith, but, uh, you know, hey, to make it better for you, you can steal my car. This, By the way, this is Ernest. You can steal my car. I'll get the insurance money. You get my car. Yeah. Of course, he steals the car. The cops catch him stealing the car he goes to prison so they have to find somebody else to kill bill eventually and of course they go to the one guy who runs the distillery the the illegal hooch farm if you will he leads them in the direction of a guy named ac kirby who's a bank robber but he's good in explosives yeah and so they're basically like we're gonna blow the fucking house up with both of them in it and uh what do they do ron <laughs> they blow the house up with both of them in it oh yeah <laughs> when, he used a little bit too much dynamite yeah, when, king, when king comes back because king was coincidentally uh, out of town yep. during all this and they come back and they just go huh, too much dynamite 
Yep, too yep, much dynamite. Too much dynamite. <laughs> I, I love how that conversation. Yep, too much dynamite. Yep, too much dynamite. <laughs> it blows out windows at other people's houses. It's crazy. Yeah. But anyways, you know, people are people are in fear. People are scared. They find Rita and in one of the probably sickest shots of the movie, like lift her up, thinking oh, that she's all right, and like the back of her head is just gone. Yeah, I love how when they're walking through and they keep finding and they're in in King's talking to the investigator and he kicks a hand. He's like, oh, that's just the housekeeper. Yeah, we keep finding pieces of her all over yeah. the place, <laughs> like. Just like like what the fuck, right? So, anyways, we're now at like this point where we're getting in the thick of things. Previous, slightly before this, Molly and a bunch of the other natives go to Washington to try to ask President Coolidge for, you know, to have somebody come out, and they donate some money to President Coolidge. By the way, in real life, they gave twenty thousand dollars to the FBI to get the FBI to come. Or sorry, Bureau of Investigation. It was before they were the FBI. Yeah. J. Edgar Hoover was in charge. We'll talk about more of that at the end. But uh, yeah. So, anyways, all of a sudden, who shows up, Diesel? Well, well, before that, when they show us the clip of her going to Washington, it shows her pretty much getting blown off by Calvin Coolidge. He's just doing like the meet and greet thing. So we're just kind of like, as a viewer, being like, "Well, that failed miserably." Yes. So then, after the after the bombing, is we finally get. Jesse Plumman's character to finally show up and knock on the door, ask to speak with Molly because she's the representative yeah. that went out there. And Ernest is saying, oh, she's sick. Uh, we can't do this today. Uh, come back Friday. Come back Friday. Yes. And they, like, they've got like uh, Tataka Means, who plays John Wren. He is the only native. He is the only native uh, Bureau of Investigations guy. So they send him. He's and, and, and he, he comes in in a cool way. Though. He does come in. I, I, I think he's badass. And I want to point out, this is one of the times that they kind of show, and I'm going to talk about it after we get our likes and dislikes when I talk about the real life situations, but remember this because I'm pointing this out. This is one of the few times that they show, but they don't really go into the fact that he's there undercover. Yeah. Like he comes in under the guise that he is a shaman who may have some Osage blood in him, and he just wants to come and learn about his heritage and help out where he can because he yeah. knows all these things are coming on and he's a shaman from a different tribe. And then there's another agent who is the insurance guy from Colorado. Which he gets in a nice little argument with uh, King over the fact of uh, a field that's you know lit on fire or no that's over uh, Red Eagle getting killed yeah and he's like hey listen I put a, I had a thing on him he's dead you know whatever you know it was suicide and they're like well no Colorado's holding it up oh, fuck Colorado this ain't Colorado this is Fairfax follow our rules yeah yeah, yeah he, he, so we find out throughout the movie too that Hale's you know good friend. He is putting a life insurance policy on him because he's got the melancholy. He's already tried to kill himself twice, so he owes me a little bit of money, so I gotta make sure I get that money. Yeah. We start getting bits and pieces that Hal is the, the organizer of everything that's devious in this yeah. town, and he's the man in control. He's a kingpin, if you will. Yeah, I mean, you figure, I mean, in the beginning you realize that when he's... <laughs> He goes, I'm king. Like, stop. Sorry, I said Red Eagle. Red Eagle dies at a certain time. It was Henry Roan. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Played Henry, by yeah. William Bilal, uh played him. But, uh, yes, he was he was, he was was the one that he had killed, who yeah. was allegedly his friend. Yeah. Yes. If you have friends like that, you don't need enemies, folks. So, and, well, what's the guy, you know, he t brings him home after he's drunk, and he's, they're sitting there and letting him warm up by the fire, passed out cold drunk. He's like, yeah, he's worth 25K. That's, that's 25,000 lying in front of that fireplace right there. Yeah. And he, and he, you just get all this devious talk finally where it's starting to get, but, come out in the open. But, but the can't collect for another two months. we got to keep it alive for two more yeah. months. Two more months. And, of course, they try to like close that up. And, of course, to get to get Ernest, who does love his wife, as we keep saying, to be jealous, he says, you know, you know, he was uh, married the, first, the first husband of your wife. 
Yeah. It was a tribal thing. It doesn't really mean much, but you never know. They might take that in consideration with head rates. I don't know. Yeah, they, they, they don't have divorce. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that comes in consideration. I don't know. So anyways, the seeds are there. So when Roan ends up dead, you know, it is what it is. Although his wife was cheating on him. So they automatically accuse the guy that she was cheating on him of killing him. So as it starts to come on, now we're unraveling because finally the F, the, sorry, I keep saying FBI, it's the Bureau of Investigation. It, it will become the FBI in years, years to come. By the way, this was their first major case that was not like a bank robbery or a train robbery case because that's all they really did in the Bureau of Investigation yeah. prior to this. So this was a huge opportunity. They were kind of given this job. Yes, they were given 20K, so that's nice on top of that. But, I, you know, because like I said, they'll talk about that in the real life stuff. But on top of it, it was really the way for for Agent, uh, was it, it's Agent, uh, what is his name again? Uh, it's White, Agent White. And also for a man that we never see, but we hear his name a bunch, J. Edgar Hoover, who I'd like to believe is also played by Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> Uh, it is a way for them to make a name for themselves. Yeah. That does come up in the movie a couple times. And that also is real life. So Tom White is closing in. His, his, his guys are closing in. And as they get it, they get informants. They get some knowledge. And finally, what, what kind of brings it down a little bit is there's an old man who likes to sit out front of his house. And he witnessed at 10 p.m. the night that Anna went missing, her getting a car with not only Byron, but also a known drug smuggler Kelsey Morrison and they left and they didn't come back and you know I just never sat right with me so they hunt down Kelsey Morrison and Kelsey Morrison uh, conveniently tells him that's not his name yep <laughs> but they know so that's where it starts to unravel because from there we get Blackie involved he's yep. in prison he starts to talk about how he was hired to do the job they catch up to the old man who didn't want to kill uh, Henry Roan and he's you know whatever and then all of that finally leads back to Ernest, who they arrest. And they're like, listen, we know your uncle's behind this. You need to talk. And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. As a matter of fact, they make him stand for yeah, like hours. 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 Like, I, would, I would like to sit. And he's like, they're like, no, you're, you're standing. <laughs> that was funny. Yeah, you're standing. I think you're fine. You're fine. You're good. You're good. So uh, eventually they end up bringing in Blackie to talk to him. He's like, what are you doing? You're, you, are you hard in the head? My uncle will take care of both of us. You just didn't say nothing. He's like, I told him everything. Just tell me what you told him so I can get us out of this. I told him everything. <laughs> so as soon as he says that, all of a sudden, Ernest has a change of heart. And he starts spilling the beans about everything. He starts spilling the beans that, you know, he wasn't there. He didn't know what happened to Anna, but he does know after the fact that Kelsey was the one that killed her. Because uh, Byron held her up while Kelsey shot her in the head. And then, of course, uh, Kelsey also admits to this. Kelsey, yeah. you know. And then he talks about how his uncle, you know, was the responsible for setting up. He's like, I was the guy who told AC to, to, to blow up the place, but it was on my uncle's orders. My uncle paid for it, yada, yada, yada. So they can finally ar arrest King. And that gets us to the trial portion. And basically during this uh, is the first time we get to see John Lithgow as the prosecutor. Yep. Mm -hmm. It's the first time we get to see as the defense attorney, Brendan Frazier. And uh, Diesel, your thoughts on Brendan Frazier as a defense attorney, because I know you have some fun ones. I know it's blasphemy in this day and age. Everyone loves Brendan Frazier. I saw a great uh, tweet out there. He played it way over the top. He way was, over the top. He was playing a lawyer from a Coen Brothers movie in a Scorsese movie. I, I believe oh, yeah. it. I believe it 100%. It was, and granted, the lawyers, the pomp and circumstance probably did act like this, but still it was a little too much for me at this point. Objection! Objection! That is my client! 
Yeah. He can't talk. Uh, That's my client. I say he can't talk. Uh, you were hiding him from me for two months. I didn't even know you had him. Well, yeah, I yeah that's kind of how it went. And of course, and uh, they ask they, they ask Curtis, "Is that your lawyer?" He's like, "I never seen that man before." But if he says he's my lawyer, I'll talk to him. Stick <laughs> <laughs> so, in the head. <laughs> so he ends up getting sat down in a room full of people. They're like, "Listen, you're fucking up what we have here." It's the all the important town folk yeah. from Fairfax. You got all the, the the white yeah, important town. Yeah, you, you have the two doctors. You have the banker. You you have everybody that's important in this town. The sheriff, yes. and it's. A well-known like conspiracy plot, and they're pretty much like, they're like your uncle's making sure we all get fucking money. You're fucking that up, and all you're doing, they're not going to go through. They're going to still throw you in prison, but yeah. you're going to turn on your uncle, and none of us are going to like you. That's basically what it is. Yeah, yeah. so you're, gonna, you're tearing this family apart. So basically, he decides not to testify. He tells his wife as much. Listen, they they beat me because <laughs> that's what he tells him in the room. Brandon Fraser leans over. He's like, he's like, he's like, they tortured and beat you. And he goes, well, they kind of did torture me. They made me stand for a long period of time. Wouldn't let me sleep. He's like, they beat you. Yeah, they beat me. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And a 180 from what I said about Brendan Fraser, though, that dumb boy scene was fucking epic. Yeah, when he calls him a dumb boy, a dumb boy, yeah. dumb boy. Uh, but yeah, he uh, so basically he says he's not going to testify. Gets him landed back in jail, and then his youngest daughter, who we knew had the whooping cough, but her mother couldn't take care of her. That by the way, we've skipped over the fact the native uh, agent ends up finding where Molly is after they arrest Ernest, and she's on death's door. Yeah. They take her to a hospital and they yeah. get her back to health. Yeah, while well, this how all this is going on, get, actually give her the right insulin and get her to health. And that's why when he's talking to Molly, she's in sound mind and thought. She still loves her husband. He says this, and then we get the fact that their youngest daughter dies of whooping cough. Yep, and the agent comes in and lets Ernest know. And it's weird because they're like set up. He's across from his uncle in these little cells, and the uncle here is obviously. And there's a really good scene where, you know, the uncle starts praying, King starts praying, and Ernest is breaking down, which, not buying it. <laughs> so then so then he goes to the funeral. After he goes to the funeral, he comes back, confronts his uncle, and says, listen, I'm testifying against you. They're going to they're gonna let me go if I testify against you, so I'm going to let him testify against you. And, you know, tell the truth, get it off my chest. I can't be without my family. And you, you get this feeling. He's like, I love my family. I don't care that your family. I don't care that I'm breaking up this family. My wife, my children, they need me. Yes. And you're just like, oh, wow, the honorable thing, I guess, right? Diesel shaking his head. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's doing everything for family at this point. And I... <laughs> so they go to the court and he basically he testifies and he says you know his parts in the death of uh in the death of bill and rita he talks about how he had other parts how he knew about other things got it out of we get the reveal about the private investigator yes we get the fucking the reveal that uh, the private investigator didn't run off with the money no uh byron and and, and Ernest beat the shit out of him and made it look like a robbery yeah, yeah. uh so you know you have all these these things going on and he, he tells all the stories so there's a nice scene after where Molly and Ernest end up in a room in a chamber together because, you know, she asked for it. And back then they did things like yep. this. And she sits down and she says, I just, she was like, is that everything? Did you tell everything? And he's like, yes, yes, that's all the truth. And it feels like a great weight's been lifted off of me to, 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 to finally say that. I was dumb. I, you know, I out of honor, I always looked up to my uncle and I did dumb things because of that. But that's all the truth. And she goes, okay, I need to know one thing what were you giving me when I was sick? And this is the dumbest part of this because this whole movie, we've believe he loves his family. He loves everything. But then he pauses. He starts to cry a little bit and he goes insulin. And she walks out knowing that he's full of shit. Knowing that he was, she was 
being poisoned by him. But here's the here's the fucked up part about it. What we saw as the movie goer, and they never change it, is every time he meets with the doctors, they gave him insulin, and they say, well, here's this thing that you need to add to it. They don't tell him it's poison. As a matter of fact, at one point, he puts it in his drink and drinks it. And he, I mean, it gives him a little high or whatever. He passes out. Yeah. But still, like, it's like he doesn't know what it is because they make him seem like an idiot. So it's like, so is this whole time what we saw as the viewer not the truth, or is this now the truth? But it's weird because it also comes right at that point, too, where we find out that he is more involved in some of the shady doings that we, in, we saw throughout the entire movie. Correct, correct. So it's like... He might not have known the chemical name for it, but he knew he was given something to slow her down. Right. right. Once again, I, I get that, but it's just kind of weird. And then they cut to Ron's favorite scene. Because Ron told me this was his favorite scene. Like, I'm being serious, right? Am I right, Ron? No, yeah. I do. Because they cut to the future, I'm assuming, somewhere in the early 1950s. Yeah. Because uh, we learn about when people die. And the last and the last thing that we learned to die, the last person that got out of jail was like 1947. So I'm assuming it had to be like 1950 because yeah. it would have to be in retrograde. And basically, it's like an old-time radio show. At, or as Diesel, you called it, Ye old Podcast? The the Ye old True Crime Podcast, brought to you by Lucky Strike. Hey, listen, you got to get those cigarette advertisements out there. So they have voice actors telling about the Osage murders, and then they kind of wrap it up by telling you what happened to all the people. They tell about how Hill uh, King got uh, uh, sentenced to life in prison, and he ended up only serving next amount of years and getting off because, you know, hey, people get bought and bribed. They also, uh, they talk about how Ernest also got convicted for uh, a life sentence for murder, but he was out in 12 years. That's why the 19th... Pardoned. Pardoned. Yeah, sorry. Pardoned because of his cooperation and everything. 12 years later, 1947 is when they said he got out. We find out that Molly would die in 1937, but she had remarried and everything, and things went well up until that point. And, uh, of course, Martin Scorsese reads the obituary where he makes it a point that nothing is said about the murders in a very emotional moment. Uh, for Martin Scorsese. Uh, so that is kind of the end of the movie. Yes. And so now we've made it through the movie, kind of did it as quickly as we could while giving you the information. Obviously, there's a lot of stuff in between. So now that we're here, let's talk about likes and dislikes. I'm going to say this up front. This movie, I can understand why critics are going gaga for it. It checks all the critical boxes. It, it checks its shot well. The acting's good. The costuming is good. The story is 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 what they like right up their alleys. It's partially history, but it tugs at your heartstrings. It is like literally the perfect Academy drama. I mean, it's a little long. I think we can all admit that. And before yeah. we even get to the dislikes, I'm sure that's going to be the big dislike. But but that is where this movie is. Critically, I can see why critics love this movie, and I just want to throw it out there because all of those are uh, when we talk about the 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 stuff when we do likes about checking the boxes. This is one of those movies that checks them, but it checks them in like Oscar check, Oscar check, yeah. Oscar check. You know what I mean? Stars there, acting's there, performances there. I'm gonna say Leonardo DiCaprio has a great performance. I think he mixes his. I, I've heard people say this is his greatest performance. I don't think it is. No, personally, I don't. That's I don't fine. think it is, but I think he, he acts as oh, amazing. He, he's, in he's this del- he delivers in this movie. Like no other. Yeah. This is this is kind of I I made the joke that it's kind of like he plays the character because the voice and everything reminds me of his role in J Edgar where he was J Edgar Hoover because he does that lip thing again where he tucks yep. his teeth into his lips to talk. So he did that for J Edgar, and I also kind of reminds me a little bit of e- what's eating Gilbert Grape yeah. because he's not all there. Yeah. And I'm you know so he's kind of slow and he talks very slow because of. It. Although it's kind of weird that they portray him that way, but he learned the Osage language and everything because yeah. he talks to his wife in Osage in a very quick period of time. But anyways, uh, Robert De Niro, I said it when we were talking about him, 
great performance. It was nice to see De Niro back in that yeah. De Niro-esque role. He is kind of like you think he might be a good guy, but then he's the fucking villain. And that is the role that De Niro has made famous over the years. True. And he did a, an, another masterful work in it. it was, and, and I think I, I wouldn't say this is his best performance either. That's not saying it's not a bad. It's a great performance, but it's just like, oh, it was nice. I think I, I rate it even higher because it was a return to form for him. So, you know, like we said, he's been doing some wacky stuff lately. And all of a sudden, he comes back and he's fucking Scorsese De Niro. Yeah. Like, there's a difference between regular De Niro and Scorsese De Niro. And it's great and they because they have great chemistry. So does him and Leo. These are these are Scorsese's two favorite guys in a movie. Because yeah. he did... De, De Niro was with him forever, and then Leo was with him forever. Yeah. So you finally put the two of them together, and that's awesome in its own. Let's be honest. We finally get to see the two of them in a Scorsese yeah. film, like, in main roles. Not like, oh, I did a little cameo just because. Like, like they're in main roles. Yes. They are the act. They are the star and the supporting actor in this movie. Because who knows how much more time we have with <laughs> Scorsese yeah, true, and De Niro. True. And I also want to say this. And I, I, man, I'm going to create some controversy here. That I don't care. As good as De Niro was, he still isn't the best supporting actor. Because Robert De Niro ran fucking circles around any performance in this movie, in in Oppenheimer. I think Robert De Niro's uh, Robert Downey Jr. Sorry. Oh yeah, yeah. This is something I say. De Niro. De Niro, because uh, De Niro is being talked about. Oh, he should win Best Supporting Actor. No, 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 no. RDJ and yes. fucking Oppenheimer ran circles around even what DiCaprio did in this fucking movie. Mm. If you don't believe me, go watch Oppenheimer. Yeah, one of my big comparisons with this movie is with Oppenheimer, and everything that people are saying about this movie, I think is absolutely wrong. The acting is fine in this movie. We saw earlier this year a master class of acting in Oppenheimer all the way around. I'm going to agree with you in, a, in a, here. I think the acting in this movie was great still. I just don't think it is as great as some people yeah. said. I think everybody delivered except for one person. And we'll get to that in my dislikes. And that's just personal in my opinion. But I will say this. It was not the master class because the master class already happened. I do agree with you there. Oppenheimer, when you watch it, mind you, a three-hour movie, three-and-a-half-hour movie, so very similar both not you know a little more action technically in this movie in 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 killers of the flower moon because there's not a lot of action in oppenheimer with the exception of a couple sex scenes and there's some explosions but it's not like big and it's a human history movie so the fact that that gave me three hours of i'm locked into this proves that a i will watch a movie for three hours if it's amazing and so you can't be like oh you're just scared off by the runtime no 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 one was a master class yeah. This movie will get to what I thought about it at the, in the long run. But I still think this movie had great acting. I just wanted to point out, I know I misspoke. RDJ, if he doesn't win Best Supporting Actor, he got fucking robbed. Yeah. Yeah. Because he that was a master class of how you act in a movie. Yeah, and if... I'm going to throw this out there. I know we're still in the likes part, but if this movie wins a lot of Oscars, this is just receipts for past things that Scorsese's been wronged for. This movie going up against... Well, what got it go- for The Departed. What it's yeah. going against this year, again... We have a very similar character with RDJ playing in Oppenheimer where he's, you know, a friend of the people and then you get the villain reveal. That villain reveal in Oppenheimer was done insanely well. Whereas this one you're just like, eh. I kind of saw it coming. Yeah, yeah you kind of saw it coming. You saw it coming from the beginning. So, so uh, getting all that out of the way though, it just checks. Let's go to some likes though. Ron, we'll start with you. And do you want to do you want to start it on fire? Because I know you really like that fucking radio scene and go for it. <laughs> Dude, after, after three hours and 18 and a half minutes once they started doing what diesel calls the podcasting part of the show i was like oh this is relief 
I felt so relief at this point in time. I'm like, it's almost over. We're going to end this movie finally. Yes. He said He said it was his favorite part of the movie. <laughs> Diesel. <laughs> okay, I, we're, we're in the positives. Yeah, well, you can go. You can, you can rebut in a dislike. Come on, go ahead. All right, so... The once we got the curtain reveal of the Lucky Strikes True Crime fucking podcast with complete Foley experts and all that, shout out Jack White, cool shit, whatever. I was so taken out of this movie because I just sat through three hours of a movie and you can't tell me the fucking ending movie wise. You have to go creative and be like, hey, in the 1950s when we're smoking Lucky Strike cigarettes. These white people here that were paying money, they cared about what happened to the Native Americans. No, they didn't. <laughs> no, this was swept under the rug. They are not. Yeah, was, yes. They are not being like, oh, ooh, well, let's use this as entertainment for white people. Nobody cared. It was a wrong time period. And then for the fucking hack, and I'm sorry, Martin Scorsese lost all his credibility by putting himself in the front of the movie and at the end of the movie to read the obituary. Fuck you. That was. So fucking stupid. I, to play devil's advocate for Scorsese, not saying I don't agree with the fact that it was kind of hack, but to 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 say to play devil's advocate, I guess he's been championing doing this movie for a long time. Yeah, yeah, it's something he's always wanted. Something to do. he's wanted to do for all over yep. a decade, and so I guess he really obviously feels some connection for whatever reason to this movie. Yep. And I I I'm going to be the first to say I don't understand that connection. That's no. fine, and I know that that's yep. going to be part of your dislikes. So I'm not going to step on it now. I just think that it was, I'm with you. I don't think it was in good taste to have this emotional moment from the director. And you know it's the director because we know what Scorsese looks like. To be like, to have this like, and nobody, nobody wrote about the murders. It's like, and, and he's got tears in his eyes. And you're just like, it kind of goes back to what you said originally when you gave your spoiler free one. It wasn't his story to tell. Yeah. And I know you're going to get to that more in your dislike, so I'm not going to step on it. But it was just kind of like, to me. I, I get that's why I get the hack part, and I'm I'm agreeing with you. But to play devil's advocate, it was a passion project. Hey, if if he wanted to be the old timey podcast announcer and done that entire spot, I wouldn't have hated it as much. But we went from the we have a character playing this old timey podcaster, and then all of a sudden he's gone and it's Scorsese. It made no sense. That's true. It takes you out of the movie. Yeah, it absolutely does. And we're, we're once again we're rating this on the movie, yeah. not the fucking story. And I, that's why I wanted to make that clear yeah. in the beginning as well. Because that's where it gets Harry Carey. But, Ron, any more likes? No, I'm good with that. <laughs> He's like, I'm good, I'm good with that. I, 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 Diesel, I'll go last because then I can get anything in there you might miss. What are some of your likes for the movie? I, despite, the you know, obviously the production stuff that we already yeah. listed. Um, so, I did like the, uh, the native female characters. I thought they were all extremely well done. And I wanted more of them. Uh, acting was fine costumes were fine it checks off these little things and that it's about it for likes for me all right so i'll, I'll add in there's <laughs> like like all the boxes are checked like even the story is fine it is long and drug out for whatever reason and that's a dislike i know i'm going into the negative there but that's going to be something we're probably going to talk about in a minute and let's just be honest the story that was good it's a good story it is it is something that i agree with what ron said it, it is an important story for people to probably see especially young age kids in, in school i don't know if i'd show them this movie because there's some questionable things in this movie however 
once again, I could see it on a high school curriculum because it is good to know what happened there because what happened there was fucked up. This is yeah. in the vein of movies like Rosewood. If you've never seen Rosewood, check it out. It, that's about a little. That's about a black town in, in, in Florida where a white woman alleges she was raped. It's actually her covering that she was cheating on her husband with another white man. She says she's raped by a black man and this, and this fucking town goes all fucking KKK and starts hanging people. It's based on a true story. It's fucking ugly. It's disgusting. It's disturbing, but it's an important movie to see and if you've never seen it, I say see it. Uh, Dead Men Walking. Eddie Griffin is, despite the fact that the comedian Eddie Griffin is in it, it's a very serious movie about the black experience in Vietnam. You know, uh, it, to an extent that it's not a true story, but also very telling of the times in Vietnam, uh, Dead Presidents. It, it tells a story. Yep. There's a lot of important movies out there that deal with American history that I think you should watch. And I, I would put this amongst them if it was shorter, because I don't know if it gets the attention center, because I think somewhere there's a lot of this is diluted. I know that's a dislike. We're going to come back to it. But I just want to say about, I do think what Ron said earlier, this is definitely an important story to share and tell as far as the actual story of Killers of the Flower Moon. Uh, I did like the acting. There was one person, we'll get to in a minute. I thought I needed more Anna in my life. Yeah, Anna was great. Because, I mean, yeah, she's a partier, but she had some important, powerful scenes, in my opinion. Uh, Rita, I would have liked to see more of because there was a couple times where she stepped out and she was. I was like, oh, yeah, fuck yeah. And then they kind of reserved her back. And Minnie, you didn't really get to know so well, so you can't really suit too much. Uh, Lizzie was great as the mother. I, I thought, once again, so I'm agreeing with you 100%. I thought all of them should, should see more work. And, of course, Lizzie, she's been in some pretty big fucking movies. So yeah. I hope she does more because she was great in this movie as well. Uh, like I said, I think overall the, the acting was great. Uh, trying to think of, like, if I wanted... I, I thought that there was some really good uh, beats in this movie. I thought there was some really good funny parts. I don't know if they were meant to be funny, but I, there was some, you know, break the line. I just want to dive over into dislikes, but let's just just not fucking go any further without talking about it. First of all, before I even go into the time of this movie, I knew this was a Scorsese film because there was mob hits all over this fucking movie. Like that part, I was like, yeah. I read the real story, and then yeah, there were some people who got shot, but there was more people who got poisoned, yeah, and then blown up. Like there was straight up mafia shoot you in the back of the head when you're not paying attention, like beats to this movie, and you're just like, well, that tracks as a Scorsese film. And I thought that, that that kind of, when I thought about it afterwards, I'm like, that kind of takes me out. Because I understand some people were shot in real life to, to have to done with this, but I'm sure not all of them. Especially like the woman in the beginning, like I said, that I kind of got a chuckle out of because it looks so cartoonish. Yeah. And that's just a Scorsese bit. You know what I mean? Uh, jumping into like the length. Oh, my God. Uh, I, I do believe one of you guys said in the, before that there's a really good two-hour movie somewhere in here. <laughs> there's a great two-hour movie buried in this three-and-a-half-hour slog. There is, there is parts, and I don't care what people say about the three-and-a-half hours, and you don't know what... Uh, dude, I know what I'm talking about when it comes to movies. I might not be some artsy-fartsy guy all the time, but I know what I'm talking about. Once again, uh, to prove that I... And, and, and I don't have to prove anything to people, but the fact that I'm giving... Cert, I gave Certified Nerd to Oppenheimer, which was three hours long and didn't have any action sequences and very few comedic spots in the entire movie... It was all driven by the fucking story of Oppenheimer. All of it, including some amazing performances, Oscar-worthy performances uh, by, by the actors in that movie. Um, to prove the fact that it, like, and it doesn't have to prove anything, this movie, there's, there's literally moments where there's 15 minutes of time where you could have eliminated from the movie and it wouldn't have changed the outcome of the movie. True. It would have made the movie shorter and better. Yeah. There's and then there's other times and there's like three or four of those and then there's probably a good ten times where you could go between two and five minutes and shave two to five minutes and once again not impact the story in the least. Yeah. Like, and you could have replaced some of the stuff in a minute when I tell about some of the real things that happened. You could have replaced some of the stuff with that and it would have been a better fucking story to take up your time. Yeah. 
And I think that that's where a lot of people have a problem. And, and yeah, I get it. There's people out there who want to jump to the defense. And, you know, it is, it's mostly because of what the story is about and stuff. But this is a movie. This is a piece of art. This is a piece of visual art. And at the end of the day, it did not hold my attention for three hours and 27 no. minutes. If you would have done, if you would have cut some time out of this, there was a really great two-hour movie there. Because yeah. this movie should have gotten two hours. And you you had, like, literally, we saw them fall in love in fucking real time. It yep. felt like three months. Yeah. I, you know what I mean? And then, like, I don't understand why at the end they showed how Anna died, even though they told you. Told you, like, what was the point of that? They told you exactly what happened. Why did we have to see it? Yeah, like, yeah. Like that could have saved five minutes right there. Yeah, <laughs> and, and once I tell you some of the true shit here in a second, you're gonna be like, "What the fuck? Why didn't they go with that?" Uh, you want to add anything? I know, Diesel. Let's just go. Just get, <laughs> just get in there. Fuck it. All right, so we're, we're gonna start with the minor stuff first. Um, most of the kills in this movie were visceral and off-putting to see. When they set up Blackie for the uh, robbing the store job to um, or robbing the bank in the morning, for whatever reason, I don't know if they had like a different DP that day. It looked so fake that shootout when he's coming oh, out yeah, of the bank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For it just took me completely out of the movie. Like we had all these brutal, off-putting deaths in this movie, and he's coming out guns blazing, and you got the fake bright red blood popping yeah. out of his cop's head. You're just like. Wow, this does not fit the theme of this movie whatsoever. On the other end of that, when they set up AC to rob the fucking store and, and the king does the seeds with the thing, I thought that was cool. Yes. On the other end of that, yeah. he just blasted with a shotgun through the fucking door. It's <laughs> it fucking great. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, once uh, once uh, king is trying to settle up all the loose ends like it's make, the end of the fucking godfather yeah, yeah. it's the end of yeah. if you've ever seen godfather and godfather 2 and even godfather 3 if you've ever seen a godfather movie they did the loose ends kill everybody off or send them to jail that you can it's the godfather yeah. Yeah. honestly am i wrong no you're right yep yeah once 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 the law is coming down he he has to tie up all the loose ends friends enemies everybody all right the major one how are you going to tell me a story about this heinous act that happened to the Osage people through the eyes of fucking the perpetrators. We do not follow the strong female characters in this movie. We follow Ernest. The entire movie. True. Are you supposed to be rooting for him? Because you play him off as being dumb, but loves his wife, loves his children. But then you find out throughout the movie that he, he is more involved with everything yes. that's happening. This was not Scorsese's movie to tell. If he was going to do it this way, I look back in the last year. We all love the movie Prey. We will follow a strong native actress holding up a movie. True. I think that the Molly character could have held this movie and had Leo being a supporting actor, and I would have wanted to see that movie. And I will say this. I'm going to agree with you, and here's one of the things that I wanted to get to. Lily Gladstone in this movie didn't do it for me, and I don't think it was her fault. I think it's no. how the movie was written. Yes. Because a lot of this movie, she has a monotone delivery and a, and a, and a monotone face. I'm sorry. A lot of this yeah. movie, she's supposed to be our strong... She's supposed to be the hero of this movie, but she never feels like the hero of this movie. When I made that joke earlier that, that Ernest DiCaprio's character is the quote-unquote hero of this movie, it's because that's how you follow him. And I think that, and I don't think this is on Lily Gladstone because I thought that she did good for what she had. But most of this movie, she doesn't even have a. She smiles very briefly when she gets married, mm -hmm. and like other than like other than screaming when her sister, her sisters and mother dies, yep. she has no real emotion. She walks around kind of like a zombie, and you could be like, well, she's she's being drugged and stuff. But no, even before she's really being drugged, she's still like kind of just monotone. And all of her delivery is monotone, whether she's speaking in Osage or whether she's speaking in English. It's all monotone delivered. And it's just like, 
I really feel in. I'm glad you said it. If they would have changed it and told it from her perspective and given her the 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 arcs that she should have gotten, that character could have been flushed out so much more. It's not on the actor. It's on the writing and the direction yeah. because I feel like that should have been your hero. That should have been the person in the movie we followed. That should have been the person at the end. And I'm not saying you couldn't have followed DiCaprio and you couldn't have followed and you could have had all the things going on. But the person we need to solidly follow, the hero is Molly. And 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 I just think that I'm not gonna say it's not on the actress because I know she didn't write the script yeah. and I know she didn't direct the movie. Yeah. But the fact that she was monotone and everything, I'm sure that order came down. And the fact that you end the movie with Scorsese reading her obituary and making a point that they don't talk about the murders. You made a movie about this woman and her family and you didn't make her the focal point. Shame on you, Scorsese. I Flat out. actually I agree with you on that. Yeah, yep. I agree. I, then, I definitely agree with you. And then to another mediocre gripe this movie is all based in real life mm-hmm. the visuals and everything then when lizzie dies you see her spiritual self being taken away with her elders it made no sense in the theme of the movie to show the owl or to show that you're keeping this all based in the white view of this culture and then all of a sudden you throw right. two little things in no I, either go out from the native perspective or don't yeah I, I think they were through in too many little themes. And then we'll go to the soundtrack. I'm usually a sucker for a good score. This movie starts off, and once they're dancing, like we played in the uh, break, when they're dancing in the oil, there is a rock beat. Oh, yeah. yeah. It made no sense for the movie. Like, the, the score was all over the place in not a good way. I had said when we came out of the theater, it was almost like Scorsese was trying to make a Boz Lerman film without the visuals. Yes. Yeah. Because like the, the the soundtrack sounds like it's straight out of a Baz Luhrmann film, yeah. and but, but here's the difference: Baz Luhrmann, I mean, when he did Elvis in other movies, you know, Moulin Rouge, etc., he has a visual style that goes with the crazy yes. yeah. the crazy stuff. This did not have that, yeah. but the soundtrack to this does sound like he was like, oh man, that Baz Luhrmann makes some good shit. Let's do a s- score similar to that. Yeah. That's what I thought when we came out of the movie for this. True, which did not fit this movie too well. Yeah. It, it, n- of all the things, like you, you say, like you know, it checks off all the things that the Oscars looks for. For me, I see that they're trying to do that. I see that they did it, but it's way too formulaic. And I think they're up against movies that did it so much better this season. And it is a travesty if they get anything more than a nomination. I see that. I, and unfortunately, that's how the Oscars yeah. work. Well, before we go to the game. Because I think we've covered, you know, pretty much the biggest scrapes. Yeah, I mean, other other than oh, it's sorry. only one pace. Oh yeah, it's it very one just one pace through this whole movie, and, and, that, and, and that pace is slow, and it's just slow, and it's just it, there's no like even the action sequences, quote unquote, don't pick up the pace at all. Yeah, it's just and they never flat, give you a time. Yeah, it's never. It's just this flat pace, and they don't give you like it's like okay, she got pregnant. Okay, she had a kid, so now it's not, at least nine months to a year later. Then it's like, oh, then she's pregnant again. So it's like like you're following the pregnancy as the main time yeah. frame for all this. So yeah. I mentioned earlier there was uh, the podcast from Parcast, Conspiracy Theories. They did a thing on Osage Murders. There's two parts to that. Also mentioned I've read scripts from the actual book, Killers of the, the Flower Moon. Because I kind of wanted to know, because when I didn't know what the time frame was, I kind of wanted to know, well, when the fuck was the time frame, right? So there was other th- interesting things I found that were not led to this movie. There were. Like, they added some things, whatever, whatever. That's fine. That's making a movie. But there's some things that they left out that I thought were kind of weird. First thing first, they make a joke earlier in the movie, kind of a joke, where the cop call look is looking for Brian Buckhart. 
instead of Byron. Well, in real life, his name was Brian. Okay. So that is kind of like a tongue-in-cheek to his real name. I don't know if his family kept his real name out of it, even though they still say it. Uh, yeah. His real name in real life is Brian. Why not just use his real name? Every, everybody else has their real name, by the way. Uh, so there's that. Then, fun fun story enough, and I kind of mentioned some of them along the way, so I'm not going to mention the ones I've already mentioned, but uh, the, the, the codependent independent thing, that was a real out-of-hand control thing. Basically, they, people were skimming off the top. They never really show you that. They kind of allude to it, but they never kind of show you, and I think that that should have been focused on more. They're, like, when I say fucking... I was okay with the fuck the whitey thing. Uh, fuck the whiteys. Yeah. Like, I'm being serious. There's nothing in me that's like, oh, these guys should be portrayed as anything but villains because the real life ones were way worse than this. They were, they were uh, what you kind of see in that outdoor scene where they're charging them $40 for a picture and shit like that and begging for their services because they're families and all that shit. It was far, far worse than that. They were actually being taken advantage on a whole nother level, yeah. not just asking for money. They were just stealing it. Yeah. And that's that. That's they, yeah. they don't. I don't think they do a good enough job of showing that part of it. And I, I think that if uh, Scorsese, by showing that the Klan was there, which was in a parade that was being cheered on, I don't understand that. Yeah. Uh, if that was your way, you could have just shown how shitty those people really were. Because none of those dependents actually, those money managers actually, was, like the guy was like, oh, uh, why did you spend you know fucking three hundred and fifty dollars on meat? Like, which three hundred fifty dollars back then was a lot of money. So like, it kind of looked like he was being responsible. Meanwhile, it, it's like, whoa, whoa, you're taking way, you guys are spending way too much money and I can't dip my f- fingers into it now. Right, right. Yeah. But but they didn't come across as that. They should have yeah. come across as that. Uh, the other thing that I found super interesting was about the Bureau of Investigation. First of all, I did mention, they mentioned during the movie when they go to Washington, they donate money to the government of $20,000. That's not true in real life. In real life, they, 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 ca- they I don't know if they went to Washington or not because I didn't get that far into it. I do know that they paid $20,000 to the Bureau of Investigation to get them to show up. So so it wasn't that, oh, one day they finally showed Because remember how, and by the way, uh, Agent White wasn't the first agent that showed up. They had a really worthless one that was on the take that they had to get rid of because J. Edgar Hoover, speaking of weird, you know, fucking racist bigots who didn't care, he was trying to make a name so much for himself off of this because this was the first time that they were in charge of anything that was like murderous. And that was what he wanted to do, and it ended up working out for them. Uh, that he made sure that he got one of his better agents. That's why Agent Sm- yeah. White comes in. So Agent White brings in, and they they purposely like all the agents that they had. So twenty k though, they paid twenty k for it. They put them up and paid twenty k. So they they don't ever talk about that. So it seems like the hero bureau of investigation finally shows up, and, and Agent White is believing you, and he's going to be the hero, you know, the White Knight, if you will. They really got paid. I mean, yes. He did solve the case, but you know what? They also got to pay 20K. Yeah. And on top of that, they were mostly doing it so Jagger Hoover and also Agent White could progress their career. And it obviously worked because shortly thereafter, they were hunting down the gangsters like Al Capone and yeah. stuff because that's when the FBI got into that. And it became the FBI, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, instead of just the Bureau of Investigation. So it obviously worked for them. Uh, speaking of which, though, the one part that I think that they could have done better is showing the FBI when they came to town because how Agent White caught him was very, in real life, was very interesting. And it kind of rings true to why the FBI is around. All of his people who came in, except for him, were undercover. All of them. So they kind of briefly touch on it, but they don't really go into detail. Like we were saying, the one native uh, agent, he's a shaman. and, and, and with those, So he came in, but they were all undercover for years. 
Like literally, I think it, the investigation went on for a year and a half, two years. So like like literally, they were underneath. One of the guys was an insurance, and they played those roles. They meet, met in secret, but played those roles. Yeah. The only agent was him and one other agent. That was it. They were the only ones that were representing the actual agency. Everybody else was undercover. So if you want to do an interesting story, I feel like that's the first one. Here's another interesting fact. So the character that Louis uh, Consimi plays, Kelsey Morrison, you know, the guy who actually kills Anna. Remember, like, the, they didn't know who he was when they went to talk to him. He tried to lie to him. And they're like, no, no, that's not who you are. Like, well, they in real life, they should have known who he was because uh, Kelsey Morrison was a federal informant. So in real life, he was a federal informant that helped them a bunch of bunch of hoosh runners and everything else, but in the previous, and he was right there. So the reason why Brian Burkhart doesn't go to prison isn't because of a hung jury. In real life, Brian Burkhart didn't go to prison because he made a deal with the FBI to testify against Kelsey Morrison because Kelsey Morrison was the guy that pulled the trigger. Here's the funner part. When they came to town and they went under undercover, knowing that Kelsey Morrison was a federal informant, who do you think they used as an informant? Kelsey Morrison. You know what they used him for? To get close to, to, to Brian so he could find out about the murder of Anna. Okay. So in real life, they tried to Paul with their informant. And that would have been a better storyline, in yeah. my opinion, than, oh, we didn't know who he was. But then again, the federal government or the FBI could have donated money to the production of this movie. I don't know if that's real, but that does happen. And usually in those cases, they try to not make them look like they have egg on their face. Yeah. And so isn't that an interesting fucking yeah. side note, though? So there's all these little interesting things that you guys should, like, if you ever get a chance, look into. And, and that character probably had one of the most heinous moments in the movie, too, when he was talking to the insurance guy about, well, she, she when I married, she came with two kids. Now, if something was to happen to those kids, would I get the head rights? It sounds to me like you're talking about murdering your children. Well, only if it'll work. Yeah. Oh. So he has that. They, they do give him a heinous line. Uh, the the thing with with Blackie though is 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 he was a bigger character in the movie than he was in real life. Yeah. He did get arrested for the the insurance scheme thing, and also for killing the cops in a shootout. Uh, that did happen, but like he really wasn't the conduit of any murdering anybody. He just overheard it. Yeah. And he used that. And also, uh, the guy, I, I, I'm drawing a blank on his name, uh, John Ramsey, you know, the old guy that has the family who ends up killing uh, Roan and stuff. In real life, his attachment to the thing was he was already in prison for other things, and he copped the murder of him, even though he didn't kill him. Just to eat the murder charge. Uh, to get the murder charge to go to a nicer prison. Yep. Uh, that does have been back yep. in the day. So, yep. oh, yeah. That is actually where his real life things. So I, there's a whole bunch of them. I'm not going to you know go into depth. If you guys want to read into it in depth, it was actually really interesting. And to me, watching the movie I watched and then reading these real life things went, this would have been a this would have sounded better and could have ate up time a lot better in my opinion. True. Once again, I'm not the one directing the film, and we can only rate and judge the film we saw. So there's a little bit of fun facts from the real history of it, and I would say that it is very important, even if you don't see this movie, to kind of educate yourself on the situation, because it was fucked. Uh, the more you read, the more it's fucked. I might even read the entire book myself, because it, it is a biography. It is, it is is based in history. It's not a docudrama like the movie. Uh, so please, please, if you really want to teach people, this should be a learnable experience. But now that we have gone through and giving you our full spoiler review. This time to find out what the internet thought about this movie. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. 
That's right, it's time to play the game. And Ron smuggled out a win last week, so he's your current champion. Can Diesel win it back, or will Ron retain? Uh, the game is played simple. Is uh, These two gentlemen are going to get uh, questions from around the internet, guessing the scores. Whoever comes closest without going over, better known as Price is Right rules, will get the point. First of three points wins. Of course, Google users is usually the last one we have. And uh, if there's a case of a tie, uh, it's closest to the number because we don't do ties. Also, if it has to be worth two points because uh, somewhere they were over, they overguessed <laughs> it, uh, which does happen, it has to be that way sometimes. So, gentlemen, are you ready? Oh, Let's yeah. go. All right, so Ron, because you're the champion, Diesel goes first because he's the challenger. IMDB out of 10 using points. What did they give killers of the flower moon? 8.4. Ron. I like that number. I'll go one just to edge my so bet. So one to edge your bet, and... Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. It, the soundboard didn't want to work. And that's right. Ron gets the point. It was 8.2. Diesel busted. You were close. It was 8.2. All right, Ron, you get to go next out of 100%. Metacritic, critics only. What did they give? Killers of the Flower Moon. 86. 87. Oh, <laughs> wow. You're both going high. And guess what? It pays off. Diesel, you get the point. 90%. 90%. So, you know how high to go. Yeah. Score is one and one. All right, Diesel, you're up next. This is the Rotten Tomatoes critic score. I remind you, this is critics on Rotten Tomatoes. Out of 100%, what did they give Killers of the Flower Moon? 86. Ron. One. <laughs> and Diesel gets the point, 92%. Oh, 92%. Oh, I can't give it that. Two to one. So, Diesel, if you can get this next question, you, you will win. win. If not, we go, Ron can block, and we go to tiebreaker. No. All right, Ron, you go first on this one. Rotten Tomatoes fan score out of 100%. What did they give Killers of the Flower Moon? 72. Diesel. I'll give you some wiggle room. 80. 72 and 80. And the survey says... Diesel gets the point and wins as your new champion. Uh, 85%. Okay. 85%. Right. So, so for fun, Diesel, let's do Google users. Diesel, go first out of 100%. Killers of the Flower Moon. Say anything less than 98, you're wrong. <laughs> 93. 94. Uh, you both would have been wrong. 81%. Oh, Jesus. So it was the lowest. It seems the fans kind of scaled it back like us. The critics yeah. kind of liked it. Once again, you're going to see that trend in a minute as well. Because now that we've given our scores from around the internet, it is finally time for us to give ours. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. And of course, we are going to give our nerd score first, followed by my critic score. And of course, the nerd score is based on the nerd scale, and the nerd score is a recommendation score. So we take our critic score and we mix it with an entertainment score, which gets the number. Uh, so therefore, it could be critically a bad movie, but if it was really entertaining, it will raise it on the nerd scale. Or it could be a critically good movie, and if it wasn't as entertaining, in our opinion, it could lower it on the nerd scale. The nerd scale has five, count them, five spots and five spots alone, and they are as follows. A one is no. That means it's a terrible movie. Movie, you should never see it a two is you've been warned that means it's not quite a terrible movie but it ain't a good movie so you've been warned not to see it a three is ah it's good these are average to good films they're movies that you're not going to be upset that you watched but you're probably not going to go out you shouldn't go out and buy them or rush out to see them in the theater just catch them when you can you won't regret seeing it but at the same time you know it's not going to change your life a four is just take my money that means these are the very good to great films these are movies that uh you know, you can feel free to go to the theater and see. Feel free to add to your collection. You might even add them to your rotation. They're just short of the best of the best, but they're still really good, and you've enjoyed seeing them, so you're probably going to watch them more than once. And last but certainly not least is the rarefied air known as Certified Nerd. 
That is for the creme de la creme. That is for the legendary films like Jaws, Jurassic Park. We mentioned that uh, from us, Oppenheimer got a certified nerd as well. Uh, there's many other movies who have gotten the certified nerd, especially in the last year. And so check that out in previous episodes. But these are the movies you're going to add to your collection. You're going to see them time and time again. You're going to get special editions. They are definitely going to be in your rotation. They are the top of the top. All right, gentlemen. It is time to find out what everybody thought. So we will start with you, Ron. For Killers of the Flower Moon, what did you give it and why? Give it a three. It's good. It's good. It's good. The, the length kills this movie, yes. I will agree that the pacing does kill this movie, too. But I, it is one of those stories that I, if you're not going to read the book, I understand there's better information in the books. There always is. But if you want to know this, what actually happened that got swept underneath, I mean, this is pretty good telling of the story. I have known bits and pieces of it, not as much as you shared, but I heard about it and went to a deep dive a few times. That's why I wasn't really too upset that I had to see it. Just the fact that it was three and a half hours is what really kills this movie for anything other than, you know, when it comes on a streaming service, if you want to break it down into three parts or two parts or whatever, it, it is definitely worth a watch. Uh, you know, Leo's great in it. I really dug his acting in this. You know, De Niro delivered how he was supposed to. But it is a long movie, so. Diesel, with that, what is your nerd score and why? All right, we're doing it. We're finally dropping the dreaded one. Oh, hell no! This movie is three and a half hours of pretentious drivel masked as a woke movie. It is not. It was not Scorsese's movie to tell. Uh, the only good thing about this movie, aside from a couple acting choices, was that it brings light to the situation. Read the book. Forget this piece of shit movie. Whoa! All right, Diesel. Diesel's going in there. Uh, you know what? I'm gonna give my. I'm gonna go out over and give my critic score first. My critic score of this movie, and it's the same as when I left the theater and I thought about it. I give it a seven and a half out of ten. It does check the critic boxes. Uh, you know, we're you know everything that did, you know, the story is there. I'm with you know when we get to my my nerd score in a minute, you'll see where it changes. It checks all the the boxes. The acting is good. The setting is good. The score could have been something to be improved on. That's the only thing that you can really go from a critical standpoint. But it looked good. The story, like I said, even though it drags out, is still a good story, et cetera, et cetera. So 7.5 out of 10 is my critic score. With that, my nerd score, though, and we're all on a different one, is a 2. Ooh, I've been warned. And the reason why is this. I kind of, I'm going to go with Diesel on this. It wasn't Scorsese's movie to tell. It was weird that your the message of the movie, and it, and rightfully so, is fuck white people, <laughs> you know. And I'm being serious, like it, oh. it's true because some fucked up shit happened in the past, and people should know about this shit, right? And I'm with Ron 100. Where Ron said that part of his score is based on the fact that you should definitely know about what happened, and this is you know an outlet to at least bring awareness to it. I absolutely agree. I can't agree more. I do think that personally you should read the book and check out some documentaries True. because there's a lot of the story that they do not tell. And I and, and here's the reason why I went with a two instead of a three is it the entertainment value was down. There's not a very entertaining movie here. There is parts. There is some things that go on. You're like, okay, that's that's okay. But for the most part, it's three and a half hours of, of, of pretty much slog. And then when you add into the fact that it's like, hey, we're trying to tell you this movie of you know what fucked up shit happened in the past with white people but we're going to tell it through the white villain's eyes <laughs> and not make him a villain it's not like like, like perfect example of this Boz Lerman doing Elvis 
Yeah, they left out some of the salacious things because we all knew them. But that's not the whole point. The point of it was Colonel Colonel Parker. Yeah, Colonel Parker. Easy for me to say. I'm going to leave that faux pas in there. Is a villainous dick. Yes, and they never show him in a different light. It's through his, the movies through his eyes, and it shows him as the villainous prick yeah. he was the entire time. If you were going to do this movie through any white person's eyes in this movie, it should have been done through the eyes of King. As the villainous prick the entire time. The fact that you actually try to make us like Leo, only to like in the last literally 15 minutes try to swerve us on him, and it still isn't really a, a hard swerve because they don't give you the definitive answer. They just give you a scene. You're kind of like, oh, but this whole movie you told me he was dumb. And this whole movie you told me he loved his family. So yeah, there's things that came to light, but the only thing that was against his family was him drugging his wife. But all that we saw during the movie is every time he asked about the drug, he was like, no, no, the insulin's not a helper, and this is to slow her down. And given the fact that we were kind of led to believe he was fucking slow, and led to believe that he loved his wife, we're led to believe that he was kind of lied to in doing it. So it's weird to then do the fucking heel turn, or the somewhat heel turn at the end. Because once again, you've made him the quote unquote hero of the movie. This movie should have been shot through the eyes of Molly and her struggles and the struggles of the people. If it was shot that way, this is a better movie. If you lower it down, take some time off of it, and shoot and focus on that, that's the story I want to hear. And 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 to Diesel's point, I am gonna I gotta kind of outline what he said in dislikes. The fact that at the end of this movie, Scorsese feels the need to come out and kind of like try to make the death. And the obituary of Molly Burkhart or Molly Kyle, like a, a point and, you know, teary-eyed? Fuck you. Because at the, at the end of the day, dude, you just spent this whole movie where you could have made her look like the hero, giving her less limelight than your boy Leo. True. <laughs> who's the fucking villain of this movie. Or one of the villains. Yeah, of the, he no, might not be the I, main villain. He's the main henchman. Yeah. I, I, right? agree, I, I agree with both yeah. you guys all, all the way, too. So, like, like, that's what drives me nuts watching this movie. And, and, and there's people out there, oh, well, you don't understand. No, I understand perfectly. What we just said is what it is. I don't see how you can argue any other way. Somehow a movie where it should have been fuck Whitey, and I'm all for that movie. I want to see that movie. Somehow still try to make Whitey look pretty good. Because remember, the fucking FBI or Bureau of Investigation, sorry, comes in and looks like they're the White Knights. Instead of the people who got paid 20 k and only use this as a way to advance their own careers. Yep. Sure, they got the killers. Sure, they solved the crime. It took them a while in real life. But most people wound up getting out of jail, so... Eh. Yeah, yeah, he did really 12 do? years. Uh, Cal did, what, seven years? Eh, they, they did their time. They, they knew who's, who's money's degree, who's pockets degrees. They, and, I, and I like how when the voice actors are doing that at the end, they even mentioned, like, when he tries to go back to Osage, the, 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 the elders are like, well, fuck you, man. You only got out because of, like, the politicians you know. Yeah, yep. but you guys are the ones that put him in that position. So it's just like, it's a terrible like message of a fucking movie. And I and I know it's the facts, but there's a different way to tell this story where the where you could have put the real heroism on the people who it should have been on. My opinion. And I don't understand why nobody else took that angle. Because like, it's not me going, oh man, you made white people look bad. No, 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 they should have looked worse. <sighs> like, like, could you imagine if, they, if, if Spike Lee, when he made fucking X... Would have would have done this through like a white FBI agent's eyes instead of the eyes of Malcolm X. That's what happened here, in my opinion. It's like trying to get Mel, uh, Gavin McGinnis to film the X movie. Yeah, 
Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, true, yeah. true. I agree with sorry, everything and, you guys have said. And, seriously. And, and, and I'm not saying Scorsese did it intentionally. I'm not saying Scorsese's a piece of shit. I'm just saying... I'm just saying... I mean, at, well, at the end, I'm saying fuck him because that was just... That was egregious. Yeah. That ending scene was egregious for what you did in that movie. But outside of that, I get it. He might have been trying... But why did you? Why was that the decision to do it this way instead of telling the story through the eyes of the person you should have told it through, and it would have been way more impactful? Just saying. Just once again, you can't have you can't have Leo the fucking hero, quote unquote hero of the movie. Yeah, you find out some things, but even when you find out things, you just go, well, you know, he's dumb and his uncle is powerful, but he loves his family because even up until the point where he testifies against his uncle, he does it for his wife and kids. What it was weird because of the the pacing of the movie too. When when his child dies and he has his breakdown, it's what fifteen minutes after we hear about like the the insurance plan to kill his children. Yeah. Yeah. You're just like, did he care about his kids or was that more yeah, like head rights uh, making sure he got his money? I I didn't even know if he cared for his children because any scene with him and his children. There is not a loving father, son, or father, daughter relationship. Right. right, right, right. Well, same thing with his wife, but at the same point, juncture. That's just the one scene. No, that one you can tell is a half breed. That other one, it's very Dude, hard to that's tell. That's his that. family, though. Yeah, that yeah, was yeah, yeah. such yeah. a fucking enraging scene. Yes, and I mean, but that's the point. Yeah. If the more of the movie was like that, yes. I'm fucking with you. Make the white people scumbags because they fucking were. Like, let's go. If you're gonna kill whitey, let's kill all the white men. Like, you know what I mean? Like, fuck. Like, oh. I just don't get, like, I just don't get how you half-ass that fucking thing to make it a story about DiCaprio's character and, and, and De Niro's character. I guess it's Scorsese's boys, but fuck. At least if you're going to do that, make them the villains the whole fucking time yes. so we know that they're pieces of shit. Yeah. yeah, treat it like Black Mass. We can follow a villain around and just fucking do it like that. True. Make me hate them. Thank you. <laughs> I wasn't even thinking about it. Yeah, fucking Black Mass, that's the way. If you want to do it from the villain's eyes, do it like Black Mask. Because there was nobody that came out of Black Mask going, oh, man. You know, Whitey Ford was fucking, he was, he was, he was misunderstood. Or Whitey Balger. Balger Whitey, Ford. Yeah. Whitey Balger was fucking misunderstood, dude. He was a, he was, he was a champion man, of the people. Yeah, Johnny Depp made me like him so much better. No, 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 no. Johnny Depp plays him like a piece of shit. He's written like a piece of shit. And that's how he was in real life. And, and yeah, I'm with you, man. Actually, that's a perfect correlation. If you want to make the villains movie, make black make it like black mass but if you want to make the hero film make it about molly and about her family and about the fucked up things that happened to them and go that extra mile just my thoughts rant over if you want to give us our your thoughts and opinions about this movie or anything else hit us up on the social medias or you can email us or whatever you want to do you can find all that information at three fnpodcast.com ron you're up you got some business to take care of. Two out of ten stars. Well, gee, now I know that everything in the book looks like without having to use my imagination. Nearly every s single scene from Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, or Philosopher's Stone, is in this movie, but there's still something missing. Something big and very important. It's the heart. I saw this train wreck in a dollar theater, and I felt like I was having the book read to me flatly. All it does is show you what the produ producers think everything in the story looked like without even bothering with what the story was about. I know a movie in deep, deep trouble when I really couldn't give a pair of fidget dingo kidneys I don't know what uh, that is. <laughs> about the title character or his friends. Do the little ones a big, big favor and sit them in front of the never-ending story. Two out of ten stars. <laughs> Once upon a time Harry I was falling in love. Now Harry Potter's only falling apart. Harry Potter does suck. What people. can I do? 
it was a total eclipse of no harm. <laughs> like that, that is a terrible fucking review. Like How the fuck is your thing be like, there's no imagination to it. Of course, it is the director's and filmmaker's job to take the imagination out of it and put it on screen for you. We just found our new way to do movies. We just put a black screen up there and put sounds in the background. It's whatever you want it to be. Make your own movie. Choose your own adventure. Holy fuck. To be fair, hasn't Zack Snyder been doing that for mm. forever? Yeah, pretty much. And what are you trying to do? Your solution is to traumatize another generation of youth with a never-ending story? Fuck you! I'm still not over that shit. A train. Hey, hey, I love the never-ending story. So do I, but that's a fucked up movie to put in front of a kid. Well, especially when you're running from the darkness. <laughs> the darkness. Yeah. <laughs> now it just reminds me of that fucking uh, Dave Chappelle, Rick, Rick James skit. Damn it. Darkness! Darkness. <laughs> fucking uh, the sexy-ass Charlie Murphy. There you go. Bring the full circle. Well, that's going to do it for this week's edition. Hope you enjoyed our review of Killers of the Flower, the Flower Moon. Next week, we will be back with our 3FN Movie Club review of Five Nights at Freddy's, or FANF is what the kids call it. Until then, for myself and for the guys, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and most importantly, later, nerds! Later. How is this not cultural appropriation? Harry Potter just sucks people. That's all, folks.